This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. <coughs> no, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Taiwan War 17 on Requital and Hunting List, and it's Taiwanese heroic gore shed time and movie ripoff, i.e. fandom galore type of time. So welcome yet again to the wonderful world of Taiwan movie buff and expert at putting entire scenes or entire movies in his <laughs> movies, Chu Yun Ping, aka Kevin Chu. And tonight we talk of him dipping his toe into State of Grace quite firmly and uh, in the first movie and also remaking it nearly fully. All of that means that we are covering 1992's Requital and 1994's Hunting List. And we'll, we'll tell you what this is all uh, remaking as we get into the show. My name is Kenny Beer. With me is author, radio host, blogger, uh, chef, uh, probably pediatrician, veterinarian, mm-hmm. pro- professional movie tweet alonger, Todd Statman. Welcome back, buddy. Thank you. Hello, everybody. And uh, Happy New Year. I know it's February, but uh, we, we haven't spoken since at the end of the year. So Happy That's New Year. That's true. Happy New Year to you, too. Thanks, man. And did you have sure. a good uh, good holiday? Uh, uh, stayed at home or did you leave the country or what was up? I did. I had a very good holiday. It was a stay-at-home holiday because we had just – we I went to Japan with my wife uh, in November and spent two weeks in Japan. So I was fine with having a, a quiet holiday at home after that. So – Excellent, excellent. Although this does not matter at all, we are recording for our American listeners. We are recording on Super Bowl Sunday, so I, I managed to rope in like the one American that does not watch <laughs> the Super Bowl bowl, rather. The Super Bowl is is one of the many <laughs> many things that I don't care about at all. Uh, but I, as I told you before we started, I want to apologize if there is any extraneous noise going on. Uh, during this podcast, because my neighbors are having a super uh, a Super Bowl party, and a part of I guess having a Super Bowl party is going Wah! every five minutes, so you might get to hear some of that. Like, like twelve hours before the ball drops, or say like right, it. exactly. It's not even yeah. I don't think the game starts for another three hours, but there's you know I guess they're warming up. You know, well I I don't know. I don't know how these things work, how how humans do these things. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> I I just watch movies. Right on. And all I know about America, I learn from movies and talking with uh, occasional friends. So <laughs> I, I gather that this is big, but I, I don't, I, I'm a hockey guy, so that's my sport. Oh, uh, okay. so, uh, and I follow American hockey, so it's not like I detest everything American or anything. It's uh, it's uh, my uh, my sport of choice. But uh, my our movie, our movie choices is what we're going to uh, speak of and why they are 
what there are remakes of and what they're ripping off and if we feel they're ripping off anything and we'll do that in a short while but first of all this is Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire Network we are located on podcastonfire.com check out our shows all the other various shows on Hong Kong cinema Korean cinema etc and bonus episodes email if you have any feedback or requests and uh, questions Podcast on Fire at googlemail.com like us on Facebook facebook.com forward slash PUF network and join the discussion group by following the link on that page or typing in Podcast on Fire network in the Facebook search bar and we are on Twitter follow us at uh, our username is at Podcast on Fire and I write about Taiwanese movies and uh, category free movies and ninja movies and various other genres over at sogoodreviews.com and I do small bite sized uh, spoken audio video reviews type of thing at sleazykvideo.com and my tweet handle is twitter handle is at so good reviews taiwan war is available on itunes rate and subscribe and if you have the time please leave a small written comment that would very much be appreciated and we are available on stitcher radio to stream and that application is available on the apple I, uh, apple app store they're not it's not their i store which would have been like genius i wonder why it's not their i store but it, <laughs> it is their app store and it's also i believe available on the google uh, google app store so you can get stitcher and listen to us that way and finally on my end uh, check out Jesus Perez Molina's Taiwan Black Movies posts for some additional great info about Taiwanese cinema mostly when he was baked into various Godfrey Ho movies at IFD or various Filmark movies uh, it's important to extract the Taiwanese genre movies that were put into these movies because there there are plenty of classics that are like only viewable that way like 70% or whatever so it's it's a valuable source and uh, you have tons of plugs pick uh, whatever plugs you like and I have forgotten because my memory is like a goldfish how's the world of funky Bollywood and that's a way of asking when's the book coming out again it's a closing in on release date isn't it the the book is still on track to be released by Fab Press on March 16th um, and it's available from the Fab Press for pre-order from the Fab Press website right now. That's at fabpress.com. If you order the book from them, uh, you get a limited numbered copy uh, signed by Kenny B of hey. Podcast on Friday. No, no, it signed signed by me. Believe it or not. So uh, I would love to sign it, but I, you know, I yeah. want some. Uh, I want some uh, cash for this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So if yeah, if, if that means anything to you, having me ruin your book by writing scrawling my name in it, pre-order it from Fab Press, and you might even get it before the official release date. And again, for reference sake, what is the name of the book? The name of the book is Funky Bollywood, The Wild World of 1970s Indian Action Cinema, which I think is pretty descriptive. It's a film, it's a film guide. I review about 70, appropriately, uh, of these great action films from the 70s, uh, a very fun period in, in Indian cinema, definitely. I think it'll be a fun read. Even if you're not like a Bollywood fan, I think it'll be a fun read. I will, I will venture that. Well, I'm greatly looking forward to it because, uh, you know, even like for a newbie like me, that, that's like, you got me. Because, hey, that sounds right, though. Like action cinema, you know, maybe rip-off cinema, who knows? Like yeah, exploitation <laughs> cinema, I don't know, but I don't know anything. And, hey, I like Todd, so, you know, two for two. I th yeah, I think it is sort of directed towards newbies. It's a, I think it's very reader friendly for people who haven't really been exposed to this cinema before. I think it maybe 
provides a really good entry point, especially for cult cinema fans, people who like international action movies, kung fu movies, whatever. I think they'll find this a, a, a friendly entry point into Bollywood, or at least that's what I'm hoping. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what else do you want to plug? You have you have plenty of that, so uh, the floor is yours, buddy. Uh, well, I have my blog, Die Danger, Die Die Kill, which is uh, Die Danger, Die Die Kill dot blogspot dot com, where I continue to review all kinds of uh, cult and genre movies from around the world. I haven't been do. I I got to be honest, I'm not really keeping up with my writing for Teleport City, but I do have a lot of stuff up there. Um, I've done a lot of writing for them, so check that out. And I'm also doing the radio show Pop Offensive. That's uh, usually the first Tuesday of every month, but this this month, well, actually, this will air after this, so that's probably not uh, relevant. But first Tuesday of every month, usually, we do uh, the Pop Offensive show, which is a really fun uh, show where we play music, crazily enough, uh, pop music, retro pop from around the world. Uh, what else? And then this podcast. And believe it or not, uh, Tars, Tarkus and I are on track to record a new Infernal Brains next weekend. So I hope that comes off because we've been absent for quite a while, but we have definitely been intending the whole time to continue on. So we're hoping to 2015 will have a healthy uh, slate of episodes. The mighty return of the Infernal Brains. Bigger and better than ever, and brainier than ever, and more infernal than ever. So there you go, let's get into Requital from 1992. Uh, plot, uh, I wrote a little, bit, a little bit of something, it's a generic gangster plot, so it's not that hard. But uh, here we go, after having killed a rival for Gangster Quay, played by Taiwanese actor Oh Chun Hung. You might have seen him, Todd, if you ever saw Island of Fire, Oh Chun Hung played the prison warden. In Island mm. of Fire, and he's a veteran actor. He turns up uh, in quite a lot of movies. Uh, after um, uh, killing a rival for him, a little kid Tung gets sent away. And cut to twenty years or so later, Tung is out, and he's now played by actor Tok Chung Wa, also in Island of Fire. He played the um, cellmate of Tony Lung Ga Fai, who had a little rat. Uh, that was the little uh, little thin uh, Tok Chung Wa. Uh, he's out and he reconnects with uh, childhood friend Fan or Wei. He, he's both like referred to as Fan and uh, Wei in the movie, but he's played by Jack Cow. They begin they begin reclaiming turf influence uh, and territory that the gang bre- uh, had before he went away. You know the gang has dissolved and uh, you know they want they want to get back. And they kill a whole mess of people. Mm-hmm. Blood all over the place. Heroic gore shed is uh, is my like, little apt term, I think. Here, it's not a it's not a horror splatter movie, but you know, John Woo had scripts. Uh, Chu and Ping experimented with bigger scripts that he might have seen in an American movie and mm-hmm. decided to take to Taiwan. So there you go. Let's do a little bit of background, including on Chu and Ping. Before you were co-host here, Todd, uh, we did some coverage on Chu and Ping's movies, Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando. And we also talked of this bio that is going to follow here. But it's been a while, so I thought uh, some repetition for uh, listeners is uh, worthwhile. And those two movies in particular that we covered, Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando, they are his kind of time warp movies with huge nods to Sergio Leone, but characters appear like they were both conjured up from World War II times and from the 80s. I mean, 
Elsa Jung is in the movie. He's uh, one. He's she's one of the girls uh, uh, alongside Bridget Lee and what have you. And she looks like she stepped out of an '80s new wave synth pop video. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's glorious fun because it's so mad. It's kind of cheering pink. Like why does it need to make sense? She looks cool. That is cool. World War Two is cool. Leone is cool. Morricone is cool. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, and let's throw it in the blender and see see how it turns out. And uh, I think those movies are. Quite glorious fun. Confusing, but glorious fun. I, I have yet to see that movie, and I'm kicking myself right now. You may hear me kicking myself, because I re- every time you mention it, I'm like, oh, God, I have to see that, because that sounds exactly like the kind of movie that I love. So I'll give an example why it's so much fun. In Golden Queen's Command, I mean, the Commando, uh, they, they feature a lot of stolen, any old Morricone music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in a sequence in Golden Queen's Commander, the girls need to stop a horde of riding horsemen by shooting dynamite placed in the ground. And, and when they do, they explode and all the stuntmen fall off in slow motion. Right. That sounds familiar to a lot of people, I'm sure. And it is, because it's copied straight from My Name is Nobody in mm. the scene where Henry Fonda takes down the Wild Bunch. But it's all set to this sequence in Golden Queen's Commander 2 Morricone's piece, Ecstasy of Gold from the Good, the Bad and the Ugly. So it's like, talk about a mis, like a mismatch of like, cool, from different movies, but cool music and uh-huh. uh, like, I- iconic scenes really. That scene in My Name is Nobody is quite, uh, quite fun. And, uh, what they do there is they shoot like the dynamite in the bags they have on the saddles and the bags glow, you know, and they kind of set it up earlier in the movie that, uh, that they shine in the sun. These, uh, these uh, sad saddles, if you would. I have actually not seen my. You're mentioning all these movies I haven't seen. It's it's terrible. I've seen like millions of spaghetti westerns, but I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's supposed to be one of the one of the better ones. I know. Yeah, I've heard of it. It's like really uh, to me, it's uh, quite poignant because it, without spoiling it, it's both like the character that Henry Fonda plays. He wants out of the Wild West, but. Terence Hill's character wants him to go out in style. And at the same time, it's Leone, who did not direct it, but he directed some scenes, kind of is uh, saying his goodbye to the West at the same time. Hmm. And it's, it's quite poignant without being, you know, a melodrama or anything. And, yeah. Uh, and quite clever. Not uh, it, it has some slapsticky moments, but overall, that, that doesn't belong. And I, I never thought Italian spaghetti Western comedies were any fun, to be honest. But uh, that may be the thing that's kept me from watching it is that I'm not a big fan of the Terrence Hill movies in general. So that 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 sort of put me off it a little bit. But I I'll get to it. But I. So anyway, please go ahead. It's out there and will be out there forever and yeah. ever. It's not going to be rare anytime soon. But yes, Chu Yanping, Kevin Chu. And I get the sense that regardless of the era he worked in, because he, he's worked for a couple of decades and still is, you know, if, we, if we're talking 80s and 90s and onwards, very few people like Chu Yanping. But, but I admit he is an acquired taste, uh, even when he's at his best, in my view, uh, for sure, because... He's good at making, you know, manic cinema, and he's clearly, without me having seen a lot of interviews with him, but clearly to me he's a movie fan to the extent that he, you know, gladly, maybe wrongly, took scenes from other movies, copied them beat by beat, and put it in his own local Taiwanese movies like 
Golden Queen's Commando, like in Island of Fire, where you get scenes straight out of Cool Hand Luke, like the exact same uh-huh. angles and exact same uh-huh. like takes and what have you. But he's he sort of he, he does it well, and and we'll get to like um, your like or dislike of his technique. Uh, but uh, he's also a talented serious storyteller when need be. Uh, he made a movie called A Home Too Far, which is a Taiwanese war movie, and it's a very harrowing movie and a very good drama. Uh, but uh, as for his background, he studied in Sochao University and began to work in the studio Central Motion Picture Company next to the school, you know, probably while he was in school or just after graduation. And he's interviewed in the documentary Taiwan Black Movies talking about one of his first script writing gigs for the seminal crime movie The First Error Step in 1980, directed by Ulysses Au, whose movie is The Country of Beauties and the Greatest Plot we've covered on this show. And uh, the first error step stars Ma Cha, a.k.a. Tattooer Ma. And he debuted as director, though, Chu Yinping, with the comedy The Partner in 1980, which boosted the career of Taiwanese comedian Xu Pao Liao and began a series of successful collaborations between the two. And that comedian became known as the Taiwanese Chaplin. Chu Yinping's movie The Funny Couple in 1984, starring that comedian and child talent Xu Ban Ban, known as Little Bing Bing, apparently. That movie pays heavy homage to Charlie Chaplin's movie City Lights. But uh, unfortunately, that comedian, uh, Xu Pu Liao, died in 1985 due to stress and alcoholism. And uh, we, we've seen him you know, in various movies. Um, I mean, if you see the face, you might recognize him. But he's in uh, The Country of Beauties. He's the guy who gets, his, uh, uh, he gets uh, castrated. He's one of the main characters that gets castrated. And, yeah, and starts acting like a woman, like hi, I'm frustrated <laughs> now, you know, subtle stuff like that. Uh, right, exactly. Uh, but uh, in between all those comedies, Chu and Ping began indulging uh, in his uh, movie fandom by creating his own, you know, nutty world of audio and visual theft, you know, in the form of mainly Golden mm. Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando. And here's the question that I posed to you beforehand: you you've seen like these two movies at least that we're talking about tonight, so you can sense that he's a movie fan. Yes, there. Yeah, there's a lot of affection. I mean, he does borrow stuff, but there, I, yeah, I, I sense a sincere affection in that, which yeah. makes me look on it a little more kindly than I otherwise might, you know. But uh, in terms of both these movies, I mean, these movies are really interesting because, I mean, you sort of mentioned this before. They're both, they're both definitely based on State of Grace. They're very, they're at the same time there and they're, you know, obviously same director, same screenwriter, same cinematographer on both films, but they're, and they're only made two years apart, but they're actually quite different. Um, Requital, and by the way, that's my, that's my pronunciation of that word. I don't think that's a real English word, but, (laughs) uh, but uh, Requital takes like the basic story of uh, State of Grace and sort of uses it as a jumping off point. But then he throws in all this other stuff. It's kind of a kitchen sink approach. And he makes some substantial changes, too. So I couldn't really call it a remake. It's sort of, yeah, he sort of just incorporates it. He uses it as sort of the skeleton of this sort of strange hybrid movie he makes. And also he doesn't do as much of direct quoting from the movie. Uh, um, Hunting List, on the other hand, I'd say that is a straight-up remake of State of Grace. I mean, it really follows the story. And yes, he does 
certain scenes he he recreates almost shot for shot from save save state of grace i'm having problems here uh you know and i think that's okay because i think when you remake you know when you remake a film a film is always going to have signature scenes that are that make the film what it is i mean the the one scene i think of in particular is the scene from state of grace it's a a very suspenseful scenario and you have it there's it involves a clock yep you know i think that that's excusable i wouldn't call that a ripoff i mean it's like if you remake king kong you can do pretty much what you want with it but you have to have him fall off the empire state building at the end or else it's not king kong and i thought the things that he recreated so faithfully tended to be the things that were signature elements of State of Grace. So I didn't feel that was, there was anything, uh, uh, you know, that wasn't above board going on there. Uh, Requital, on the other hand, there's a lot of, I mean, he adds the the beginning of it, speaking of spaghetti westerns, the, the beginning of Requital end, begins with a scene of young, what's the tongue, yeah. as a child, uh, watching from a hiding place as his parents are murdered by a group of thugs. And it's right out of the movie uh, Death Rides a Horse with Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> That's exactly how wow. that movie begins. I'm it's not like, surprised at all. I mean, he, he's got the parts yeah. on these movies, man. I, 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 I yeah. always admire him for that. that he, he's got good taste, too. I mean, he really yeah, does he have does. good taste. Right. That makes it excusable, too. And... Uh, yeah, it, that was weird though because he introduced that and then it didn't really come to anything. There was the first guy that Tongue killed. He has a flashback and it's one of the guys that killed his parents. But in the in Death Rides a Horse, the whole plot is him tracking down each of the guys from the gang. So I thought that was what was going to happen, but they just completely dropped that. I, I have a question, though, because uh, I always thought, like, again, my theory on this, because we, we don't have a lot of interviews or, like, extensive uh, documentation of Taiwanese cinema, mm-hmm. that one reason that his movies were almost straight-off remakes or had scenes from other movies in them was because maybe, maybe... They, the original movie did not get extensive play in, you know, in the local markets. So this was a way of bringing cool stuff that he'd seen to the local audience, possibly. But it also leads me into, because you're an expert on Bollywood. Is Bol, is Bollywood at all like this during some decades? Did they, did they like jump on like a trend bandwagon and made straight off, straight up remakes or just, uh, you know, what happened in India essentially when something big broke in Hollywood? Well, it's funny you should ask that, Ken, Mm -hmm. because, yes, uh, Bollywood is notorious for borrowing and recreating storylines, not just from Hollywood cinema, though. I mean, um, uh, and I I would say, too, that I think that uh, what you were saying about the reason he was using those elements is maybe because those films weren't getting exposure, or it might be the opposite. Those films were incredibly popular, and so he was using them because they were popular elements. Bombay, or now Mumbai, was a real um, sort of crossroads of world cinema. There were a lot of theaters, and they got not only the Hollywood films, but they got all the Italian, you know, the spaghetti westerns, very popular in India, you know, the Euro spy films, 
the peplums, all of that stuff, very popular. And, uh, and also Hong Kong Kung Fu movies, very popular, especially in South uh, India. And so, yes, they, uh, that's one of the things, you know, I talk about in my book is how they combined all these influences of all these different world cinemas, including like the new Hollywood movies, and then combined them with the very unique uh, traditions of Indian cinema, the singing, the, you know, the, the high melodrama, the, the colors, the vibrant colors, and the, you know, and the exhaustive length. So you have not only, uh, and also I think there's sort of a Wild West attitude uh, at this time throughout Asia uh, in regards to international copyrights. It, it was just like everything was fair game. So not only do you have, in Bollywood films, not only do you have scenes, complete scenes recreated and remakes of films, but you even have uh, movies where, uh, they'll just take the actual footage from another film. <laughs> and I've seen uh, the James Bond movies were obviously very popular in India as they were everywhere during the 60s. So I've seen, if you've seen the movie You Only Live Twice, there's a part where there's a car chase and uh, James, uh, you know, James Bond is being chased in a car and he makes a phone call and uh, a, a helicopter comes with a big magnet and picks up the pursuing car and drops it in the ocean. That's like one of the big set pieces from You Only Live Twice. I've seen that that uh, scene, that exact footage, reused in two different uh, Indian films. Wow. Just like completely... And, and then I've seen it recreated in another one. Like that, obviously, they like that. And then... Uh, there's films like, uh, there's a film called Coon Coon from 1970. Uh, I'm not sure what, I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but it's from the mid seventies. And that's a, uh, Hindi remake of Dirty Harry. That's very, very close, uh, to the original, except that the, they didn't really have those kind of anti-heroes in India at that time. They would eventually, but that was yet to happen. So it's like Dirty Harry with a very clean-cut Dirty Harry. But that has also has shot-for-shot recreations of pretty much all of the key scenes from Dirty Harry. And also my favorite part is the scene where the, if you've seen Dirty Harry, the scene where the psychopath, the Scorpio killer hijacks a school bus full of children and terrorizes them. In the in the Indian movie, this is a jumping off point for a musical number. And so the psych the psycho killer sings a song and all the kids sing along. Gonna slash your throat, gonna slash your throat. Like and right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and right there you have sort of like the difference, the tension between Bollywood and Hollywood. And there's also a very good movie named Inkar, which is a remake of Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, which is also very close. I mean, they're, I mean, they're picking well, uh, but but you know, like on a scale of one to ten, are they often like good at recreating it, or is it like embarrassing in most movies? Like, I mean, are the means there to like recreate it well? I, I guess is my question. They're by their very nature different because of the traditions of Indian cinema. So um, they're really interesting. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's definitely an, it it definitely is a good way to sort of see the differences and the sensibilities mm-hmm. um in action um i think 
Coon Coon is is really the the Dirty Harry remake is incredibly uh, is incredibly entertaining. It it lacks the tension of 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 the you know of the the American version, but it has it has like songs and like really brilliant colors and it's it's still it's a fun movie. And uh, Inkar is uh, uh, the remake of High and Low is excellent. It's one of my favorite Indian films. Yeah, so that's a that's a wonderful glimpse in. I mean, t- t- Taiwanese they were not like uh, cinema. They were not like high budget movies, but they at least Chu Yanping he really went out of his way to quite quite faithfully get it done. And I mean that's a note basically in my review that you you can conjure up that thought like I'm gonna redo that. But you gotta have uh, the the execution behind that, and in the case of Chu Ping, as, and as you will see in various at least sequences in his movies, maybe mm-hmm. not the entire movies, you will see that he his team and himself they're they're pretty crafty in terms of like recreating it because the whole scene from My Name Is Nobody with the horses and the stuntmen falling off that's a dangerous ass scene to do. You know, it's not like you you know, pick up your mates from school and uh, shoot some crap and then call it cinema. Uh, it's yeah. it, it really takes like a real film filmmakers behind it. So yeah, I I I think as a technician that he's actually a really good filmmaker. You know, I mean, I thought both these films were good films. They're not great films, but they're good. I thought they were very entertaining, very well paced. You know, well edited, well shot. There are some very nice shots in uh, in all of them. So and 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 there are also more like cool stuff. Spread uh, spread throughout his filmography. It is uneven his filmography. I'll give you that. Uh, so so let, let, let's dive some in, into it and uh, talk about some minor highlights. Uh, great highlights, but we will talk of them briefly. Uh, and uh, Book of Heroes is a great, great, great action movie. A zany action comedy, a really broad action comedy featuring Yukari Oshima's debut performance on screen. And mm. It's a damn impressive physical showcase. It's an excellent action movie and an underrated uh, action classic, really, made in Taiwan. And uh, a series of army drill movies followed in the 80s, um, which are hit and miss, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. the titles could be fun, you know. Naughty Cadets on Patrol, being an example. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he co-directed the first Young Dragons Kung Fu Kids movie, and that will become a series quite quick, because I think in Taiwan, at least, uh, having kids as leads in like sort of semi semi action com- movies slash mostly comic comedies that was profitable like you read about because yeah. they made a lot of these types of movies. Didn't he also do the Shaolin Popey movies? Yeah, he did. I mean, <laughs> the the first one is pretty annoying. The second one has some cool action, but they're like uh-huh. they're like the example of here's the great in comedy of Taiwanese cinema, and it can be mm-hmm. pretty dumb, you know. But it's it's <laughs> it's not directed towards adults necessarily. Uh, yeah, that's there's that. Yeah. So uh, indeed, he made two of those movies, and uh, but the early nineties marked some more mature and even harrowing work from Chu Yanping, and partly this is true for the prison drama Island of Fire with uh, Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, Jimmy Wang Yu, Andy Lau, Tony Leung Fai, among others. You know, it's a smorgasbord of uh, mostly Hong Kong talent, but a lot of cool Taiwanese talent as well. Uh, but uh, also notably in his personal favorite, and actually actually my favorite of his, uh, the war movie Home Too Far, and its sequel End of the Road, showed this craftsman really getting coming into his own, getting top talent into an epic and very compelling frame uh, dramatically. 
So I, I would recommend a home too far. So you know, there he, he had box office success along the way too. Uh, so it was uh, it, it was employable and uh, could get in talent that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we're talking about tonight, uh, he went on to helm the gory gangster actioner requital, featuring among other things, and we'll talk about this. Kind of a shot-by-shot retake of the end shootout from State of Grace, uh, starring Sean Penn and uh, Gary Oldman. And uh, as Todd alluded to, Hunting List was his actual remake of State of Grace, minus that shootout. He wasn't that, like, I'm going to do it again. He wasn't that <laughs> transparent. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would be pretty cool if he, like, did it again, N- not reuse the footage. But, like, I'm going to do it again. I can do it again, sure. You know, and I, I actually watched uh, State of Grace for the first time last night. I, I As I was telling you, I didn't realize till like yesterday morning that we were going to be talking about two films by the same director that were both based on the same movie. So I realized I needed to get up to speed and watch State of Grace. You know, State of Grace has its share of rain slick streets and uh you know and dramatic uh monochromatic lighting the final shootout is very you know could have been directed by john woo so there's not there's definitely asian influence in that film too so i think this is sort of a quid pro quo almost and a morricone score for state of grace as well Yes, absolutely. A very nice Morricone. Very restrained Morricone. Oh, yeah, score, for her, actually. For heaven's yeah. sake. Like, uh, if I didn't know, it's not the trademark. Like, oh, yeah, right, exactly. And, and it's a pretty good movie. It's uh, it's not like my top, like, gangster movie, favorite gangster movie, but it's it's a pretty fast moving, intense uh, movie. And the performers are, performers are fun to see, and the violence is pretty fun. It's a pretty basic movie. It doesn't have, like, a, d- a deep thematic, like, undercover hell type of uh, impactful storyline but I, I i have it's kind of the classic i mean even though the main characters you know there's sean penn and gary oldman you know they're essentially brother characters even though they're not biological brothers but it's sort of that old story of the brothers who you know they you know who are involved in crime and they you know they sort of are at opposite ends of the moral divide and you know we we've seen that story before so it is a reworking of that definitely excellent performances i thought that mainly what i liked about smoothie was the acting everybody in it was really really good yeah. really strong i mean it takes a like a gary Oldman to make a big over-the-top performance good you know what i mean he's kind of the king of like going full gary full gary Oldman, if you will <laughs> yes yeah definitely yeah definitely he was sort of like nicholas cage before nicholas cage yeah but uh um and i thought in uh hunting list the guy they the the guy in requital who was in sort of the same role as Gary Oldman was a little more toned down. He was more of a buttoned up sort of triad guy. But the the guy in uh, Tan Lap Man who was who played that role in Hunting List he really went for it. He was like starring starring Tan Lap Man as Gary Oldman in Hunting right, List. Right? Yeah. Pretty, except, <laughs> yeah. Except Gary Oldman didn't pee on anybody. That was like his. That was his little little touch that was added. Chu Yingping, like uh, he was there for like the shifting trends in Taiwanese and Hong Kong cinema. He helmed a couple of uh, movies that followed in the wake of the success of Once Upon a Time in China. Some of the uh, you know uh, flying uh, Wu Xiaopian uh, fantasy movies. He made a movie called and a hilarious movie called Flying Dagger. 
and uh, starring a lot of um, Maggie Chung and Yaki Chung, Tony Lung Gafai, being absolutely silly. And it's a wonderful like mix of Chu and Ping coming into Hong Kong, essentially, doing his mad stuff, but getting Hong Kong stars to act like loons. Very fun movie, very, very fun movie, Flying Dagger. And also he made a Category 3 rated uh, Wuxia Pian, it's more of a drama called Slave of the Sword, that uh, reused sets and footage from the Michelle Yeoh movie Butterfly and Sword, which uh, I think is due to Chu Yanping had a hand in producing it. He's actually credited as, as director in it, of it in some places, which is uh, wrong. So it makes sense he had access to the footage and some of the sets. And it's actually well, in, uh, you know, the action footage is featuring stuntmen from that movie rather than like uh, glimpses of the stars uh, of that movie. So it, it makes sense. But as the decade moved on, he, he became less and less interesting in my eyes. Uh, but he's been active um, and is still active to this day. Uh, one of his most well-distributed movies, but I have no desire to see it, is the movie Kung Fu Dunk, with starring, uh, you know, it's a basketball movie, obviously, starring the expressionless Taiwan superstar Jay Chow. I fucking hate Jay Chow with Avengers. I have no idea why he's such a big <laughs> movie star. He might have chops as a rapper or a singer, but man, is he a boring uh boring performer isn't that like the new trend in in like uh chinese cinema it's like that that you have to be like a canto pop star before you can front a movie it seems like more and more well, well it's been a trend for decades but previous decades had uh people that seem very dedicated to the craft the your andy Laos, mm-hmm. your anita moy and uh but right. uh, he, he, I mean, maybe down the line, he'll get, he'll achieve some charisma, but the first time I saw stills of him in his debut movie, Initial D, which I saw about 10 minutes off and shut off because I'm not a car guy and I, oh. Yeah. It was like, but, but having said that, he made me kind of chuckle every now and again in the widely uneven The Green Hornets. Uh, you know, he played Kato in The Green Hornet with uh, Seth Rogen. I mean, some things were mildly funny in that one, but otherwise, you know, obviously disposable movie for me yes. anyway. And uh, also Chu and Ping Helm, The Treasure Hunter starring Jay Chow. And uh, not, not very successful movies uh, either on the mainland, Hong Kong or Taiwan market. So. Mm-hmm. And latest credits at the time of recording is a 2012 release called Perfect 2, which, uh, judging by the poster, looks like a romantic movie slash possibly very grating slapsticky type of comedy. Um, mm. And uh, 2014's My Geeky Nerd Buddies seems to follow the same comedy <laughs> pattern based on the poster. That is me prejudging the movie, but you gotta <laughs> lure me in somehow. And those posters did not lure me in at all. It, wait, it's called My Geeky Nerd Buddies? Yep. Okay, yeah, that doesn't uh, exactly win me over either. My wacky geeky nerd buddies, <laughs> and, it, and it's uh, it's obviously a meditation on the Holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That that's up to date with Chu and Ping. We've kind of let the um uh, we, we you know let our opinions like uh, air in terms of requital. At least you did. So I'm gonna take the reins here and share you uh, share my quick take on requital. And and it's a it's a theme that will run through my reviews. I think uh, what what I'm about to say that of the Hong Kong or Taiwanese gangster genre or anything with gun gunplay that all makes me instantly remember how I started discovering Asian cinema and that makes me very comfortable and uh, that that gets me in a good mood but requital is a step up uh, gore wise you know heroic gore shit 
And it's a fairly well-mounted, basic uh, gangster revenge time that exists for violence and not, and not necessarily uh, deep dramatic themes. But it, it's enjoyable, and move, the movie fandom spread throughout uh, is enjoyable to pick up on, but more distinctly towards the end, as I'm sure we'll mention again. I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in America in a long while. I thought the, the whole sepia tone flashback in structure was kind of a, was kind of Once Upon a Time in America-ish, but I might be remembering that totally wrong, that Dad had a big old flashback to one of the characters committing a crime as a kid. Do you remember that movie at all? I have not. I have. I have not seen that film. Right, right. It, it's not one of my favorite uh, Leone movies, sir. So there you go. Didn't Godfather Two have a have a preface like that? I don't know. Anyway, I I did want to mention that I have seen uh, Butterfly and Sword. So you did mention one film that I've seen, but uh, I think yeah. The sub-theme of this episode is films that I should have seen, but I have not seen. I have not seen Once Upon a Time in America, so I cannot speak to that issue. You know, it, it, it's a good thing that you, uh, you, you know, if we were to pick, like, uh, what to watch in preparation, if Once Upon a Time in America is being riffed on here, I would have, like, excluded that and included State of Grace instead. So I'm glad you, like, went the State of Grace route, like, the logical route. Uh, it's oddly, I, I don't know, do, do, do you think it comes and goes in terms of, like, its um, pace? Or do you think it throughout it's oddly sincere and energetically pulled off? Um, for me, it is. I mean, I, I, I think... The, the 90s action gangster pictures and 80s in Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema, I can forgive some flaws because I usually enjoy myself. But for, for me, it, it flows fairly well because it's also a fairly short movie that is basic in its nature. Uh, you know what I mean? So, so I mean, uh, how do you think it flows overall? I think it flows very well. I found it to be a very entertaining, well put together movie. And it did, it had a lot of energy and it did seem to have a sincerity to it. When I heard, when you said it was like a heroic gore shed movie, I was a little on guard that it was just going to be sort of an exploitation, that it was sort of just going to be a movie that existed for the sake of the gore, you know, it's just sort of a delivery system for gore, you know, because we've seen many movies like that. But I didn't feel that way about it. Uh, I felt like it was just a kind of a good, like, I guess I would call it a pot boiler, you know, not like a classic or anything. But, yeah, nice, brisk and sincere and uh, an engaging movie, which, you know, that's the best. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not really a fan of gangster movies at all. So, I mean, my feeling about those is it's there's it's they're usually about guys who are sort of emotionally retarded and <laughs> and they're sort of and they're bound by these really restrictive codes of honor and masculinity and everything and the women are sort of pushed to the background and abused and it doesn't really correspond to my my idea of what it is to be a man so i don't really i'm not interested in that world so i mean it, it is not an appealing world here either and you're very right it's a it, these are very much anti characters that no one's really heroic here or doing anything heroic uh, so i'm using heroic gorsha as just a like a quick lazy like a headline kind of thing for the show you know what i mean uh, uh, but yeah. but but having said that i mean it's not very usual that we get not even from this time uh, across the region so to say hong kong and taiwan these like hugely large like abnormally large squibs like because when they explode <laughs> it's like yes. it's like a big 
big, big, like... It's like a lance of blood. It's like how the blood projects out of the wounds. It's like, yeah, it's like just a, a javelin of blood that <laughs> leaps, leaps out of every wound. And it's like, it's pretty ridiculous, but also kind of, yeah, stunning at the same time. I mean, aesthetically, it's very interesting because it just... You know, the sets just get painted. It's like painted with blood, like a Jackson Pollock painting. And I think in if you judge by the timeline, I think he must have gotten the taste for this, watching State of Grace, and then started experimenting, getting it done. It's actually one of the things that he's, he's kind of said in interviews. I've seen one interview with him on camera where he talked of, like, experimenting a long time, getting it right, getting squibs right, and slowly but surely uh, started essentially from this movie and for for a couple of movies, even comedies, because they probably had some scripts left over. <laughs> yeah. they, he, so he, he's, he's done it for a couple of movies. Uh, it's all backed by technical execution, as I said, and it's so enjoyable to see like the impact of these gunshots being either even larger than a John Woo movie. And, yeah. uh, you know, in Hunting List, it's almost like they're so pre the like explosion is so pressurized that it indeed like shoots out like a javelin out of people. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fun, yeah. fun as hell because you don't see that that often in Hong Kong cinema. Squibs they know. Uh yeah. but this is like, you know, on level three. If that was level one, this is level yeah. three or four or something. There's like yeah, there's like five times as much blood and and probably five times as much gunpowder. It's just they're very explosive wounds. And and actually State of Grace is not too shabby in that respect either. I mean it's it was pretty true to the feel of the violence in that movie. It it is present in a movie, but the ending just takes you by surprise, like, holy shit, this turned gory all of a sudden, like when he shoots that guy's a finger off or the arm off instead of Grace. Like, whoa, gosha time. I, I thought for a while, I was unsure of this movie when it was supposed to be set because the sepia tone opening that lasts for about 10 minutes or so make it seem initially like it. Oh, it's a 20s and 30s movie. Cut two when he gets out. Maybe, wait a minute. We're in modern times. What's going on here? And so, 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 so presumably it's the 60s, uh, the uh, sepia tone opening uh, because they, they have access to phones, like, like quick access to phones and what have you. So, so when when he comes out, he's like in his mid twenties or yeah. early thirties. So, but but it, it threw me off. Like, wait a minute, well, are, are you doing like a time warp thing and confusing me again, <laughs> Kevin Chu? But hey, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean they they spent a lot of time in that prequel. I mean the in the the sepia tone sequence that was like the first wasn't it like 20 minutes half an hour of the movie i uh, mean it 15 was, or 20 yeah yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like the, i thought it was kind of like the wizard of oz you know? <laughs> it's like, and then all he comes out of prison and all of a sudden everything's in color you know he's not in kansas anymore and uh speaking of where who comes out you know it's actor took chung on, on my, my personal notes on him is uh he's a great versatile actor he works very well with Ping, he's, uh, he was the star of A Home Too Far and End of the Road. And it, there's no stretch for him to like be both sensitive and then go on to be a badass, which he, he's, a, he's a bad character here, but it's no stretch to see this thin little wormy guy from Island of Fire with his little rat <laughs> turn into this like gun-wielding you know, madman, anti-hero. He's, uh, he's a versatile actor that way. But his, uh, his uh, brother, not his blood brother, as you said, Jack Cow, it isn't as evident here, but Jack Cow is one of the premium frightening 
badass inside of Taiwanese mm. cinema. Which is a sign of a good versatile actor too, but his looks is obviously more suited for villains, but he did so extremely well, uh, both in Taiwan, but he also did some Hong Kong movies. He was one of the villains in Ringo Lam's Full Alert, alongside uh, Francis in that movie. And he's also, probably his best role as, I believe he was like a disgruntled cop in uh, Teddy Chan's Midnight This Movie in the Heat of Summer. Teddy Chan is the director of uh, Bodyguards and Assassins and recently Kung Fu Jungle with Donnie Yen. But mm. uh, In the Heat of Summer is a very, very good movie. So that's those two performers. But, and me being such a fan of Kevin Chu's movie or Chu and Ping's movies, I see that he's a very economic uh, uh, director because he reuses, uh, obviously, uh, themes, but he also reuses sets. The mm-hmm. bar set in this movie, I can swear to you that it's been used in at least four or five of his movies. It's, pr- uh, because it's, uh, it has like this added, like extra level, like a, a bridge over like the first, uh, right. floor or what have you. And I've seen that set in Island of Fire. It's probably the same set as in the opening of Hunting List in the first like the like drug deal yeah. with Ray Loy. So he's pretty economical. He, he reuses stuff and redresses it. And it's just a kind of a nerdy detail for me to notice, I suppose. Uh, right. Be, because he's not transparent like uh, like he sets his movies in one room only against one wall only. He had access to a set and he reused that because they had it. No need to waste money building something else. Just redress it suitably and you know, and we'll we'll shoot it, and it'll it'll look different, and it pretty much does. But me seeing too many of these movies, like I think <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good set too. It's, I mean, it's a very cinematic set because it does have the two levels, so you can you know have the characters on different levels of the shot and everything. I thought that was cool. Well, I wanted to say one thing about the character tongue uh, that confused me a little bit. I didn't know why. I mean, in in all three movies, there is a love interest that is someone from the the tongue character's past. She's someone she's known since childhood, and he and he re, he rekindles his romance with her, or he tries to once he returns to Taiwan. Um, I don't know why it was necessary for him to rape her in requital like that was not something that happened in the other two movies. And it was, you know, I will say for it that it was definitely not eroticized in any way. It was pretty harrowing. It's a very, you know, it's a very unpleasant scene, but it's like... It's essentially if he's refused, uh, you know, her, uh, she's not uh, in love with him and she's going away to America, and that's him taking out his frustration... I suppose I agree with you. It's not comfortable, and I'm not watching the movie for any redemptive qualities, thankfully, because this is a <laughs> yeah. this is a movie with edgy and dark characters. But having said that, yeah. it's pushing his unsympathetic nature, him getting off on violence, and uh, you know, in the first scene where they bury. Uh, Blackie Coe's character, and they bury they bury him and say, "Oh my God, I haven't done this for a while. Man, this is good." You know, they really get uh, off yeah, on violence yeah. and and maybe get off on sexual violence too, which is uh, uh, one of the reasons why both these movies are rated Category Three in Hong Kong. You know, eighteen uh, eighteen and for adults only, uh, violence and uh, 
dog stuff like this. I guess it was because they seemed to put a lot of effort into trying to make him sympathetic with that whole prologue. You know, it's all they're almost trying to give him an excuse for his violence by well his he saw, you know, his parents were violently murdered before his eyes and his first killing was basically a revenge killing. So we're kind of on this guy's side. But then, you know, when that happened, when he rapes the, this woman, yeah, he kind of crosses that line, you know, where he it's kind of hard to sympathize with him so much. You I, know? I, I guess that's why it's good that the movie is this fairly basic, you know, ride of bloody gangster action. I mean, it goes through the beats like it's the duo's tour of duty trying to claim a spot in the gangster world again. So they may, they merely have violent and kind of greedy wills. And, uh, and, and those basic beats, there's nothing wrong with that because the movie moves well and you, you got like a, a decent, like, you know, sense of violence throughout the movie. You know, it's not wall to wall violence or shooting, but, you know, when, when he dips into it, you, you kind of go like, oh yeah, this is what it was about, you know, stabbings in the foot and big scripts again, you know. Right. And, and, uh, garroting people with, uh, piano wire and all that good stuff. <laughs> but it, it's another plus of the movie that, you know, it's one of those sort of structures where it's just like, um, reprisal after reprisal after reprisal one one gang hits another and then you know it's just a moment of matter of time before they hit back and it just keeps going back and forth which could be very monotonous but the, this movie required definitely i thought managed to pace it out there was enough drama and other stuff going on to keep it from becoming numbingly repetitive in that in that sense yeah, it switches to Hong Kong mid-movie. I mean, it, it's uh, it's very much pronounced that this is Taiwan. Hunting List is actually very pronounced set in Hong Kong. Uh, despite, de- despite if you know your Hong Kong geography, most of the stuff looks like it's shot in Taiwan. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but uh, anyway, when he gets to Hong Kong, we get some introduction of the Hong Kong cast. We have seen Amy Yip as uh, the... Uh, like the first prostitute that Tung goes to who kind of falls in love with him. But it happens in no scene at all because we see them doing the transaction, if you will, you know. Uh, and in a latter scene, they've apparently had something going on where she is distraught about, you know, I give you money. No, I'm so engaged in this relationship. And I was like, where was that scene? Did I fall asleep? But it's yeah. nowhere to be find, found, not even in the Taiwanese longer version. Amy Yip's character is kind of, they, they, they forgot one scene, kind of to establish that yes. at least she is into him, but he is definitely just focused on, bow, 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 you know. But she's his entire support system, basically. You know, she's like, take, she's taking care of him, but, uh, yeah, that was, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that was that was definitely confusing. That all happened very fast. I thought it was all just an excuse to get, you know, Amy Yip and her elusive nipples on screen. Well, we never know? see the nipples, sir. That's her thing. She shows everything except except that. So it's up to Tok Chong-Hwa during their sex scenes to cover her up. But what a great gig for him to, you know, have his hands all, all over her breast. And, right. Uh, yeah, it's that classic uh, that classic softcore sex where it's just all above the waist and all just a lot of a lot of boob nuzzling and fondling. <laughs> it's like, that's about it. Nothing below the waist. 
But uh, but as I said, the Hong Kong section contains our uh, cameos to slight support from actors, uh, Hong Kong actors, Wuma and Law Lit. And it's uh, clearly shot in Hong Kong locations too. So they, they, like, like there's an outside shot of a police station that's very recognizable from various Hong Kong movies. Uh, seemingly a police station that they could shoot at, you know, maybe, uh, like, uh, they, they gave permissions easily. Because I don't think you're, as a film crew, you shouldn't turn up without a permit outside a fucking police station. <laughs> and yeah. Like, shoot it, run! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I had a question for you. About, I mean, in State of Grace, a big part of the movie is sort of the tension between the Italian and the Irish gangs. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like an ethnic tension. And I feel like both of these movies, to some extent, tried to substitute for that the attention between the Taiwanese and the Hong Kong. And, and, and the mainland a little bit because, uh, Wu, yeah. Ma, Wu Ma's inspector Liao, he's, he's, uh, like alliance lies with, the mainland gang essentially so he's a corrupt cop and and he, and his brother is from the mainland he says like lolit his brother has come down from the mainland with me so which was an interesting choice to to make the cops in this movie be all corrupt i mean the cops are basically just another gang in this movie which is you know that's a that's a valid perspective and uh but compared to the original movie where Sean Penn's character I don't, is this a spoiler? I mean, I think they reveal it pretty early. Yeah, half uh, half the movie, and I think he reveals that he's an undercover. Uh, you know what? They reveal it in the first scene because when he meets John Turturro and they kind of set it up that that deal where he kills John Turturro is a setup uh, that it's right. a faked thing. So I think the first scene of State of Grace, State of Grace, makes it clear that uh, there's something going on there, something very distinctive. Right. That is, and in requital. For all the elements of State of Grace, they use they just totally throw out the idea of him being a you know being an undercover cop, and the cops turn out to just be another another uh, you know gang basically. It's the slower section of the movie, but being such, uh, it's still at ninety three minutes. It's still there's never any problem with pace, and certainly it is overall a well mounted production. This is not like embarrassingly low budget, uh, which shows. It's a line of like many Chuyenping movies where it shows that he can command a, a genre frame pretty well, whether it's fantasy, whether it's a prison movie, whether it's a comedy, or right. And 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 this in the case of this or these, that's very much enjoyable. And 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 I guess my my biggest enjoyment comes from the fact that you you alluded to it that these like the drama, the so to say honorable drama that the characters engage themselves in that uh, because Tong does not agree with, uh, you know, Jack Cow's character's direction. So the brothers drift apart, and because they drift apart, there needs to be violence, and it's their internal honor, and it's the, the internal honor is the stuff that gets him emotional, you know, uh, the, yes. the, the drama. But it takes place within them. They're all, like, bad characters, so it's it's an enjoyable, like, us looking in on, the way the internal honor works, but at least they're going after each other, <laughs> you know, rather than like uh, regular people. Uh, we have mentioned that Wang Yu is in this movie, Jimmy Wang Yu, and uh, indeed he is. What an, it's it's pretty, it's it can be hard, can be hard to see that. I think I missed him. Well, he has two scenes. Uh, you know, the helicopter machine gun attack. Oh, that was. <laughs> that is Jimmy Wang Yu, you know. That is like the that, that's the splatter sequence of this movie. That was right? crazy, yeah. 
And he, uh, and, and the second scene is when uh, Tok Chung confronts him on the roof and then throws him off the roof. That is Jimmy Wang Yu. Um, yeah, that helicopter scene was something else. It was kind of like, uh, it was uh, kind of like Apocalypse Now meets uh, Scarface a little bit. But that, yeah, that was, that was, took me by surprise. That was pretty over the top. But I did, I guess I was, I was so busy going, whoa. That I didn't realize that that was Jimmy Wang Yu. They never do a close-up shot of him. That's the thing. Yeah. So here, it's kind of all. I, I spotted it because I kind of knew knew it from before. Knew that that's probably him. That's a little bit of chunkier of Jimmy Wang Yu for you. You don't notice it because it's the biggest setup of the movie. Kind of, you lots of scripts on the stuntman. Lots of like, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they need to. Uh, prep all the stuff in the restaurant to blow up, you know, as soon as the machine gun hits right. them. So it's the biggest like sequence and it's very well executed because yes. it's not over in five seconds. It goes on in several shots for a good yeah. one, two minutes and it's, <laughs> yes. it's pretty damn massive. And I love how it starts because they feel a Jurassic Park style rumble, you know. Right. Yes. And then, here I am. But it's not a machine gun that's mounted on the helicopter. It's merely Jimmy Wang Yu with a machine gun. <laughs> yeah, ha- just hanging out the edge <laughs> and like really enjoying himself. It oh, must yeah. be said too. And he, you know, he's a hired assassin essentially. Yes. So he's, yes. Uh, but really, no other notes except for again, you know, the whole ending is like the firm, like you know, here's the state of grace, like beat by beat not necessarily like shot for shot like the same angles like in island Mm -hmm. of fire where some of the stuff is exactly the same framing but it's still on the theme of if you want to copy that well you gotta be good at your job as a filmmaker and the technical crew you know stuntmen and what have you and actors obviously and i have to say that I absolutely love this sequence, even in Requital, because it's still all the squibs going boom and the start, you know, it, it's the Hong Kong flavor. It reminds me of, which again is what you alluded to, that State of Grace, mm-hmm. it's not the trendsetter of action. It clearly has watched that, that ending sequence. They clearly had watched a John Woo movie or two. Because uh, State of Grace was 1990, and by that time, John Woo had the killer out, and Better Tomorrow 1 and 2, so clearly had established some kind of in- influence internationally. But I, I absolutely love it, uh, and I, I love always to screen cap. I sent you the screen cap of the guy that yes. uh, with the <laughs> shotgun that Tok Chung shoots, and his entire chest or left side of the chest, they have rigged up a yeah. squib there, goes boom. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so big, man. It's so, I wonder if that hurts, like to rig them up, even like rig up even bigger. That's scripts. gotta hurt. That, that, yeah, cause those are, I mean, they use gunpowder on that for those, right? Isn't it just like little explosive charges? I would assume, especially in that industry too, that, uh, that is not as sophisticated. They were going with the old, uh, old tried style, if you will. So the guy, that guy is basically walking around with a bomb strapped to his stomach along with like a bag of goat intestines or something to make that effect work. But hey, they even rig up the, the actors too, like in Hunting List, old-timer Ku Feng gets to have one of these uh, devices on him and they blow him up that way too. But 
Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's such fun. Do, do, do you think both sequences like stand on their own? Like they're both really well executed or is it like, it, or does one feel redundant to you after watching them tightly together? Well, I think my opinion almost doesn't count because I watched them so closely together. I watched, of these three films, I watched Requital first and I really enjoyed it and I thought it was a well-made film. I, I did, uh, I, I quite enjoyed it and I thought all the action scenes were and that one especially were were definitely well executed. It's really from that time of uh, like the copies that happened in the wake of John Woo. Some of them really stepped up to the plate, at least in terms of a sequence in the movie. Maybe not the entire movie uh, sometimes, but there are some splendid sequences that really tops even what John was doing uh, mm-hmm. over in Hong Kong. And this is one such example where the action directors and the director and all the actors and stuntmen really put it together and uh, and uh, created Massacre, just like in State of Grace. And uh, right. it's, it, it's a quite an honorable sequence in a way, if I'm being, like, really, maybe it sounds preposterous, but he really honors State of Grace, I think, by making it, you know, copying it well. And, I, and I'll say in comparison to Hunting List, I mean, Hunting List in terms of the gore is even more over the top. I mean, Requital looks, you know, even the use of the squibs is restrained in comparison to in comparison to hunting list, because that's where you really see these rockets of blood. Imagine if you caught that in your eye, like if I have a hunting list style, like, oh my god, I lost an eye, I lost an eye. <laughs> exactly. Did you get it on film? Like, yeah, yeah, whatevs. Like, we got it on film, it's good, it's all good now. <laughs> yeah, it looks like the blood would actually, the, the blood is shooting out of the wounds at such velocity that, yeah, it looks like it would actually hurt you if the blood hit you, you know, that it might actually bore holes through you or something <laughs> i mean it's that it's that extreme uh did you make did you make any on the theme of uh notes on um you know we mentioned like music uh stolen uh, stolen music i i recognize one piece of stolen music i think in uh, requital the thing uh morricone's score for the thing did it oh Morricone's- really okay there was some really nice music in that and i figured there was it was probably mostly needle dropped but uh i actually didn't identify anything in that, but I figured there was definitely some needle drop stuff. Yeah, yeah, on the theme of like restrained Morricone scores, but did, you know, I, I, am I completely insane? Or I know it's from the, I know it's the thing, but did Morricone score the thing? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. I'm, I'm. You know, it's that really, from... it's that really subtle, like dum 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 dum, and it's that really quiet main theme of uh, the thing uh, that uh, sounds like it's it's pretty much a John Carpenter esque score. I, I'm getting absolutely insane, not knowing if it's Morricone or not. So editing okay, points. I'm looking at, I'm looking okay. at it now <laughs> because I'm it sounds it like up. typical John Carpenter. Like, uh, so yeah. I might have like dreamt that Morricone scored the thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Let me, uh, let me look, let me look, let me check. Uh, no, the score was by Wilford Brimley. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, uh, let I me love see. Wilford Brimley and his scores. Yeah. Who doesn't love Wilford Brimley? Ah, I was right. I was right. Ennio Morricone. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, I guess if John Carpenter's not going to do it himself, he's going to have the best. But but they also reused some uh, some music from Island of Fire, Julian Pink's movie, that either is original or not, you know, that flute sting like it's it's either stolen or original music from island of fire but that's the first time i heard it is from that movie so he reused what he uh got scored for him or stole <laughs> in this movie as well 
Hunting List struck me as having, it sounded like maybe an original score, because, or maybe at least it was not a needle drop Western score, because there were some, a lot of Asian themes in the music, and then the, there was the theme song, which is like a canto pop ballad that plays at the beginning and the end. Um, did you recognize any anything stolen in that? Uh, not anything obvious. You know, I'm pretty bad at it, so uh, no, such, uh, but uh, yeah, nothing as such. Unless you have any other notes, I want to share some notes on the Taiwanese edit of the film. I uh, because I got it yesterday, I, I didn't know if it had one uh, uh, a Taiwanese longer edit of the film. To 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 set it all up, at this time in around about the early nineties and even eighties. Hong Kong Productions, this is Taiwanese though, but Hong Kong Productions could feature a somewhat longer version in Taiwan as it sometimes opened there first. And, you know, trims were made before the Hong Kong cinema release based on reception over there in Taiwan. Kind of a test market sometimes. Chu Yinping's movies, uh, on the other hand, Taiwanese movies, despite having Hong Kong talent, you know, Island of Fire, Home Too Far... They played at desired length in Taiwan, their original length in Taiwan, and were often edited uh, down from their original version uh, when they were released in Hong Kong, and quite drastically so. I mean, Island of Fire, I love that movie, even at two hours. But in Hong Kong, they chopped it down to about 90 minutes, and the same with A Home Too Far, Chu Yinping's war movie, down from about two hours to 90 minutes. Like, they stripped them down to their basics, which... Works okay for Island of Fire, does not work very well for A Home Too Far because a lot of the enjoyable characterization was gone and it was more action-oriented all of a sudden, which I think is kind of unfair to that movie uh, because it's uh, really well made. Requital went the same roof, uh, route. Uh, original length, approximately 112 minutes, taken down to 93 minutes in Hong Kong. What's mostly here, I mean, I, I didn't do a... Uh, screen by uh, screen by screen kind of comparison, uh, but I did watch them like close together. So I wrote down the basic uh, additions, if you will. And there's mostly smaller extensions here, but there are some welcome character bits and um, one piece of nasty, crucial violence that is actually cut out of the Hong Kong version, which I'll get to. But just running through them uh, uh, really quickly, it features a new credit sequence. It's a mainly close-up of someone's tattoos, which uh, the Hong Kong version has the sepia tone flashback continually playing while the credits roll. Um, the directed by, written by, and what have you. So it looks like we're watching the opening of Crying Free Man or something, like all the close-up of the tattoos. Like, so I think it's a kind of a lame, lame opening to the Taiwanese version. But we have some extensions in the sepia tone opening after the young Tung arrives at the hospital where the gangster Quay is being treated. Before he goes into the room with him, he actually meets uh, Long Si Hung, the actor Long Si Hung from uh, various Ang Lee movies. I believe he's in The Wedding Banquet. Uh, veteran, a Taiwanese actor, he plays Uncle Tuan. And he says hi to him. You know, he sits down on his knees and says, Oh, you're the one that saved our gangster boss. And then presumably Quay's wife leads him into the hospital room. And this scene you see partly in the Hong Kong version during the end credits montage where he sits down on his knees uh, to greet the little kid. So that, that that scene plays in full, if you will. And uh, furthermore, there is some tenderness between Amy Yip and Tok Chung-wa 
in their like initial sex scene, it shows at least Amy Yip's character feeling a closeness to Tung. Like when they had when they've had sex, they're kind of uh, cuddling, or she attempts to cuddle anyway, and then they have sex again. But these two sex scenes are merged into one, and the Hong Kong version cuts out any uh, you know direct reference to there being some kind of sweet romance going on there even if it's one-sided romance in this case so and furthermore the ride home of uh out of a drug deal and assassination of uh, the people in the car out in the countryside uh, Tok Chung Wai, Jack Cow takes out uh, a couple of people uh, they are discussing in the car and disagreeing about the action that went down and uh, Jack Cow confesses that I want money and power I don't want to be a small potato eventually they end up on the same page and they do they do realize they're close to a beach and they say like hey should we run down to the beach into into the water together because it's something they did as kids to kind of um, you know cap the argument that they had and uh, get you know um become friends again essentially so it's a symbolic gesture from childhood so they do that on that like cloudy day on that like kind of uh, the isolated beach and in hunting list instead of uh running going to the beach they go to the airport and they they shoot a slingshot at the planes flying overhead isn't that sort of the same thing anyway yeah, it's a symbolic gesture of some kind. Yeah, I haven't seen it in another movie, so maybe it's his uh, original idea, if you will. <laughs> it, it, this whole scene, where it's actually followed by a bit of a going good montage, because the Jack Cow and Tok Chung Wa are buying cars and suits, and <laughs> then they walk into the club uh, and asking for girls, you know, and that's where the Hong Kong version enters. So uh, it's one of those like going good montages. Hey, we're rich, Mercedes, uh-huh. and stuff like that. <laughs> Step into the club like, yeah. Yeah, like players at that point, you know, they're, they're like, yeah, they have some money in their pockets. Some good character bits. The, uh, female, uh, character of Shin, you know, essentially the Robin Wright character, Sean Penn's love interest in uh, State of Grace, you know, there is a love interest here as well, like his, uh, childhood love, if you will, in, uh, Requital. She approaches Uncle Tuan in Taiwan one night asking for Tung, who's now in Hong Kong hiding at this point. And he asks, she asks Uncle Tuan to pass a letter to, to Tung. And presumably, uh, because uh, there is a scene after, uh, later in the movie, presumably this letter says that she's pregnant with his child. And that child, uh, that pregnancy presumably happened uh, during the rape scene. Unfortunately. You know, it's a really horrible, yeah. like, uh, dark, dark turn, if you will. And uh, yeah. there will be, like, a, um, an, an additional scene connecting this scene, um, uh, so, so I'll talk about that in a minute. But the extra piece of crucial and nasty violence here is, uh, spoilers, but anyway, uh, Tung assassinates, uh, Wu Ma's character, Inspector Liao. It's a part of a, like a trio of assassinations that goes on at the same time, including this one. And he shoots him three times and then leaves the restaurant. In the Hong Kong version, that's that. We presume Wu Ma is dead, but he isn't. We see him uh, kind of twitch and still show signs of life, uh, and we cut to Tung driving away from the scene or being driven. And he thinks to himself, oh man, no, turn around, turn around, something's wrong. <laughs> so he does. And by that time, the ambulance has arrived. So he walks out of the car, shoots in the air so the people run away and then shoots Wu Ma an additional three times while on the stretcher. And then he's dead. And this scene, uh, part of it, uh, when you see him shooting someone on the stretcher, that scene plays during the end credits of the Hong Kong version as well. 
And I don't know why it's not there. Possibly it can be a censor cut. Maybe censors objected to shooting an old man twice, you know, in the span of two minutes. While he's on a stretcher being loaded into a into an ambulance. That that was pretty extreme. But uh, I think it was one of those how bad is he moments, you know. It's like Six shots will do it. Free? Nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's not exactly a moving target. So <laughs> exactly, it's pretty like a like a, it's comic comical almost. Like he's that bad, you know. And no, yeah, uh, no exactly. honor between him or not. There's no like Mexican standoff or anything. No, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Yeah, if it was a hunting list, he would have peed on him afterwards. But that's, <laughs> um, hearing these cuts, um, I've got to say, I think it's so it's almost unfair to judge this movie with those scenes cut out because even though I like the movie, I'd say it's definite it's its weaknesses were mainly in terms of characterization, but it sounds like there was a lot more in the original cut. You're, especially you're right. I mean that that's what they did, Hong Kong, unfortunately. They went off the Chu Yinping's actual character skill and kind of just removed that. And the Taiwanese versions are, you know, in the years to come, are not the ones that are most commonly available uh, because mm -hmm. masters often are present in Hong Kong rather than Taiwan or companies only ask in Hong Kong because they assume it's a Hong Kong movie anyway uh, and, and you're right because here's another example which for the record I think Requital plays well in the Hong Kong version but I like the added character bits a lot and here, here's like the conclusion of the whole pregnancy character bit mm -hmm. because Tung in the Hong Kong version, version meets Shin again at kind of the reunion party back in Taiwan he's been hiding and uh, you only see the latter part of their interaction him saying like you didn't go to America no that dream is gone and that's that but before we have seen Jack Cow he's married her by this point and we see them having a kid together and showing the kid at the party and like hi say hi to this guy you know go and play now and that is as a matter of fact the kid that resulted from the rape mm -hmm. it's kind of a kick in the stomach if you will of you know the female characters are treated very very poorly and here's a child that she had though but here's right. a child that's a result of a very very evil act a very reprehensible yeah. act yeah i mean it does yeah the cuts really do a disservice to the female characters in the movie who are really yeah they're not both amy yip's character and chen hao's character not very, you know, they aren't really given much, you know, background. And, yeah, once she's raped, yeah, it would have been good to drive home sort of the tragedy of that. Or, you know, um, I think, you know, I think the film plays fine as it is. But, yeah, I think it would, in terms of characterization and the gravity of, like, you know, the actions having consequences would have been good to have that that footage in there. So it's good that you are, are doing us the service of telling us what was missing. And furthermore, kind of the final bits here that I spotted. Uh, at one point, uh, Tung seeks out, because you ask, where's Uncle Tuan? Well, he's retired, Jack Cow says. And it turns out for some reason, Uncle Tuan, yes, he is retired, but he's uh, presumably had some sickness or something because he's now blind. And he's uh, living on his own and uh, is, uh, is, is poor and Tung finds him in this state and there is that scene in the Hong Kong version where he meets him and he's kind of shattered that Uncle Tuan that he looked up to and respected is now, has not been looked after. So some additional stuff in the Taiwanese version, you see Tung 
uh, staying with him, you know, like for a couple of hours, feeding him medicine and even bathing him. Which is a sweet little scene between us two. Uh, that, I, I like to have that through line because uh, uh, that that actor uh, Long Sihong is obviously a g- great character actor and great veteran. And uh, again, was in Ang Lee's The Wedding Banquet, and I think he's been in another another Ang Lee movie or two. That's that. And the final one is uh, because I wanted to mention this because you see it in the Hong Kong end credits uh, after after another disagreement uh, in late in the movie over wise drug business you know the lead duo again have a conflict but they do put a cap on that Tung says I'll, I'll i'm your brother I'll, I'll do whatever you think is right and then they jump in the pool together as kind of a symbolic gesture that yeah we are on the same page and that scene where they jump in the pool you can see uh, towards the end of the hong kong version um it, it's not even in the end credits i think they actually play a montage just before uh, just before okay, I'm spoiling it, whatever. Be- just before he shoots his friend, so uh, so mm-hmm. you, you see some stuff there. So it's a it's a good edit that was only available on Taiwanese VHS, um, but uh, I, I got it from a friend. But it uh, it's again it does a disservice to uh, to the movie a little bit because there are there is some character there and Chu Pink shows he's got he's he's not this melodrama director necessarily. He can show restraint, and uh, there, there's some good bits here that unfortunately was cut for. Hong Kong released. Right. Yeah, I mean, even the relationship between Tung and Y could have been beefed up a little. Because a lot of it's just like... Hey, you're back. Let's fuck shit up together. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're bros because, you know, just because, you know, because we grew up together and that's what it means or whatever. So, yeah, it would have been nice to see a little bit more, uh, yeah, tenderness between those two. And as for availability, it's not an easy film to own, actually, as... as Actually, because at most it's been on a good-looking Hong Kong Laserdisc in widescreen and subtitled, as well as a couple of VCD releases, but nothing of that is now in print. There's no DVD of it, and you just hope that there is a decent master in Taiwan or Hong Kong that some market will show interest in, if not the Taiwanese or Hong Kong market. Uh, uh, because there's always an interest somewhere uh, elsewhere. Japan sometimes shows interest in even the most obscure stuff, you know. Um, and uh, again, uh, the mentioned uh, longer version was only re- released on Taiwanese VHS. Even if this movie came out on DVD, I'll, I'll bet you that it will be the Hong Kong version only because there might not be a, a full print available of the Taiwanese VHS. And there's someone looking for this, you know, companies looking for this, they might not even know to ask for it. Right, you know? right. So uh, it's the kind of, I, I'm, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. It requires that you know a little bit about versions, and it requires being a fan, I suppose, if you want to put it out. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, some companies they don't know crap about. They're doing some companies. It's you can forgive them for not asking for the rare Taiwanese version. At least they put right. out you know a, a good looking version of the main one or or a slightly shorter one or whatever. So there we go. But let's take a break and let's talk uh, you know uh, uh, javelin like uh, <laughs> squibs <laughs> coming at ya in Hunting List from 1994. God knows what that English title means, you know. But uh, there you go. You know, it's not it's not like uh, you know state of something something or you know it Hunting List like there's no list here of someone hunting people on a list and no death list or whatever it's <laughs> well according to uh hkmdb it was also known as kill extremely which is not really an improvement 
Uh, that, that would have been a great title. I, I'm willing to bet that is the literal translation of the Chinese title, which is fantastic, though, because that's what it, that's what it is. Kill Extremely. Directed by Chu Yinping. Kill Extremely. What's that about? The Holocaust. <laughs> like, whoa, what, a, what an intriguing, artful concept. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, but okay, we are taking a short musical break, and uh, we'll be back to discuss Hunting List from 1994. So sit tight. Welcome back, and the final review of this Heroic Gorshed special is Hunting List from 1994, Chu Yenping's actual remake of State of Grace, not just a scene or two. Uh, so, plot from my review of the film, having committed a murder as a teenager, Kit is sent to Taiwan to hide. Returning to Hong Kong as an adult, played by Hong Kong actor Ray Loy, he reconnects with his sworn brother Cramp, played by Tan Lap Man, and is quick to stand by his brother's side as they wade their way through the often violent underworld, working for Loy, played by Paul Chun. However, Kit's loyalty extends to the police force as well, as he is in fact an undercover cop. You've heard this plot before, because it's the plot of State of Grace, essentially. So, But before we talk a bit, let's talk the lead actor for a little, little bit, Ray Loy. Handsome and veteran Hong Kong actor that went where the work was, you know, including Taiwan in this case, and he was born in Vietnam. He came to Hong Kong as an early teen, though, and is quite regarded for iconic roles on TV, for instance, as the character of Ting Lik in the Hong Kong television series The Bund, that also featured Chia Fat. And Ray Loy also uh, became kind of iconic for his role as Limpy Ho in the gangster epic To Be Number One in 1991. But uh, to go back a little bit in his career, he was encouraged by his father to enroll in actor's training class. And Ray did so via TVB, as many did, including Chai Fat and even um, even uh, future director Ringo Lam entered into the acting program at TVB, but he didn't go anywhere in terms of acting. He became a director eventually. And so, but great, he started getting minor screen time after a while in the 70s on the network, but rose to fame in 1980 in uh, The Bund, as we said, and reprised the character in the follow-up series 2 and 3 as well, as the years went by. And as a side note, actually, uh, Choi Hak uh, produced a big screen version of the Bund that was called Shanghai Grand, but neither Ray Loy or Chai, in fact, participated. The movie starred Andy Lau and the late Leslie Cheung. But uh, Ray Lowe was an actor working on film as well, not just TV in the 80s. He appeared in various efforts, including in uh, Choi Hak's Dangerous Encounter First Kind, a.k.a. Don't Play With Fire, and he was also in Jackie Chan's Project A2, and even reprising, possibly making a parody of his Bund role in the Stephen Chow time travel comedy God of Gamblers Free Back to Shanghai. So, uh, because I'm not familiar with the Bund, I'm not sure if he took his own role or took like the Chai Fat role instead. So, but uh, it was a funny ass movie regardless. Uh, but 1991 did mark a race, greatest acknowledgement. Uh, although I- I'm quite lukewarm on the film and the performance, it's quite an over the top performance uh, as Limpy Ho 
in to be number one where he played the real life uh, gangsters rise and fall in the triads and uh, this led to a number of leading roles in historical pieces it seems for a while that ray was the man to call for such projects if you wanted to portray someone from history so he's in the first uh, or rather he's in the two lord of east china sea films he plays a corrupt cop in man of the times incorruptible etc not really my style of film these like epics if you will i like a good mm -hmm. gangster movie but not like a like a historical drama i'm not like into them as much I'm, i don't feel they they like are coherent to me but that's just me because i like my i like my pornography as you as you well know <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so it's a to cap it all off it's not a big buyer he's known for his many relationships off screen and does he appears frequently in gossip magazines but that crap does not interest me because he uh he's not killed anybody off screen so it's not like uh, it's scandalous in that regard. So, um, but but as for recent credits, you can still uh, you can still see him in movies. He was uh, apparently in the fairly recent Andy Lau movie Firestorm, and uh, probably looking very much the same because uh, Ray Loy has uh, you know, his looks has not changed through the years. He's a very like handsome, distinctly uh, distinctly man. So um, there you go. One thing I will say about the leads in this film, and one of the chief differences between differences between this film and Requital is facial hair. Yes, <laughs> There's, these guys both have are pretty beardy looking, and I was I I wanted to ask you if this was a trend in Taiwan at this time in 1994. Ray Loy possibly looked like this coming into the movie. Tan Lap Man. Uh, I've never seen him with uh, you. Uh, I gotta tell you something. He's unrecognizable because I I've seen him in tons of movies before. He's often in category three movies playing sleazy, vile fucking characters. <laughs> uh -huh. Just really like I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> but because he hides under the fucking hair, which might be real or a great wig and the glasses all the time. I promise you, as much as I'm trying, I'm like looking at him, is that really him? But finally, there's a photograph of him at the end of the movie where you see that is Tan Lap Man, but he's hiding behind that really well, actually, like, because it's, right. it's not like, um, prosthetics kind of thing that he's hiding behind. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a different demeanor too, but he, he's not this like he 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 character. Like he's uh, just a he's Gary Oldman. He's what it is. <laughs> yeah, he's a, yeah. He I don't think he ever takes his sunglasses off throughout the whole movie either. Uh, not in a close shot uh, anyway. Maybe, but, but but yeah, it's his uh, signature, if you will. Like uh, so, uh, there you go. But uh, as for my quick take uh, of the movie, uh, you know, it's a. Uh, quick and quick it's it's a few sentences but uh we talked of true romance very briefly at the beginning of the movie uh, beginning of the episode and its influence if you will comes in the final shootout of this movie uh, but there there is continual kind of pleasure in the also uneven hunting it's like watching and putting yourself and this is very personal into the head of that movie fan that made this movie like mm -hmm. uh, he uh, he absorbed state of grace again and kind of had to find something else true romance came out that year like that's a good movie let's put that in here so um, um i think that's a kind of a, makes it quite enjoyable to see him take that and execute that but it has durable gunplay you know hong kong style gunplay taiwan style gunplay is greatly violent with those uh vicious squibs like uh the, the psi behind those squibs you know the pressure behind those squibs 
Wow. <laughs> and uh, but so you you get a kick out of that, and uh, you you don't follow it for theme or character, but I I, I get get a kick out of uh, those elements, and it's a basic gangster movie otherwise, and uh, it's it's fun to watch uh, Taiwan's take of State of Grace, which is not as good, but uh, but uh, he's open about his agenda, and I think also, and this is my final word on this for now, he makes you want to kind of watch movies, both his and others, you know what I mean? Because he I, yeah. I think he's quite open about, hey, I took that from that movie, checked it out. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so in short, you you have mentioned every now now and again what you thought of it, but just for the sake of discussion, what did you think in short of Hunting List? I I enjoyed it. I didn't of the two. I did not enjoy it as much as Requital. I'm not sure why that is. It may have just been the order that I saw them. It didn't hold my interest quite as much. I'm not sure why. It was still a very well-made film. You know, and obviously he has a lot of affection for State of Grace. You know, and that is, you know, it may, it did kind of make me look forward to seeing State of Grace, which I watched almost immediately after watching this one. I, th- I thought the acting in this one was very good. I thought that um, Tan Lat Man in particular was excellent. He was very over the top. But he really energized the movie with his performance. Because, yeah, I, I make fun of the fact that he is Gary Oldman. He's not, like, copying it in an embarrassing way. He brings his own energy to it, definitely. Yeah, well, he does, yeah, he definitely, uh, like I was saying, as opposed to the actor in Requital, he definitely plays up the loose cannon aspect of the character, kind of the wild man aspect of it. Yeah. And, uh... You know, he did it. He did a really good job, and I think Ray Lloyd too also did was was very strong. You know, you know, it's that counterpart to the characters. Like one is calm and obviously carrying the secret that he is an undercover, but I think it's why it's wise casting in that regard to have these uh, contrasts. One being rational, but obviously seeing him as his brother though, and not like this. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna nail him. So whatever whatever he does, I don't care about it. You know, he's he is dedicated to their like history so and their history starts in uh, a briefer sepia tone opening this time but uh Ping, uh doesn't um you know he, he, it's not gunplay scripts here but there's a, like a vicious knife murder here with a splat splat splatter and uh you know we're in the movie pretty quickly and um yeah so so you would think like uh uh, they were made like uh, one movie finished uh, on Tuesday and the other started on Wednesday <laughs> because they're so similar. They open in sepia tone and it's kind of the yeah. same movie. So, but the but he jumps into the story a lot faster with Hunting List. Requital, he seemed I, I don't know what he was doing with Requital, but I thought it was interesting how he he just sort of gave took the already existing story and he gave it this long prologue to establish the character's motives, which he then sort of abandoned later. Um, Another interesting change he makes with Hunting List is what he does with the whole subplot, or it's not really a subplot, it's sort of part of the main plot, of the main character being an undercover cop. Here he springs it on us as a twist at the end. It's like, Aha, but I am actually, you know, so-and-so of the International Anti-Drug Squad or whatever it was he was part of, which was another interesting choice. I mean, you know, State of Grace builds a lot of drama around Sean Penn's conflict, you know, because this is his best friend, but he also is a cop and has this assignment to bring him down, you know. So we lose that. 
but we get a lot of other we get a lot of other interesting stuff, and the violence is really really crazy. I mean, I think that the design of this again talking of the scripts because they're so distinct in these movies, mm. uh, it's almost so comical the way they design every piece of uh, gun hit to fly out in a very like controlled thick stream. Uh, it's almost like this is how we're gonna design it, and that could have worked so poorly and it kind of looks like we're they're making a parody of the genre but nevertheless todd i think it's so enjoyable because it's not like they rig up one little like spurt and it's rather like you know and and five or six of them on one actor so the tech crew must have worked like overtime to get this done for heaven's sake it's a pretty massive elaborate uh technical uh technical level they're working at and as we referred to before i'm sure the stunt people went home with bruises on their chests from all the explosive at the very least you know went home with some injuries from all that explosive going off on them you you can even see like like bulky things underneath certain actors yeah. shirts <laughs> like a big old like square that for for one like spurt <laughs> if you were like oh my yeah. god like but and the results are surprisingly consistent. I mean, it looks pretty much the same every time. You know, it's like the same the same amount of blood in the same trajectory every single time. Like it it, it never shoots like at us, but like uh, on to the sides and what have you. And it looks like it's a massive pressure behind it too. Like, yes, uh, yes, really massive. And it's not like it's not film speeds doing this, but like. It's out in a millisecond and some lands somewhere, hopefully not in someone's eye. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out! Hey, what? (laughs) Don't get it in your eye. Um, I think the thing I'd say about both these movies, I mean, we always come down to like, would you recommend it or not? Being that they're, uh, maybe it's just because they're remakes, but um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend them just because life is short and there's a lot of other good movies to see but i mean i wouldn't warn you off off them they're they're pretty if you want to just see an enjoyable you know uh taiwan you know gangster movie or you know gory action film sure it's exactly why i brought them to the show not because they're hidden gems because it's such a it's a flavor within them remake flavor and again, the blood squid flavor that is worth talking about. Uh, but so you're, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, one thing I want to mention this is as portrayed, and it is a Taiwan production, it, it might be a co production though, and it has certain Hong Kong actors, but as portrayed, it's also set in Hong Kong because the whole, yes. whole lamb sitting. Uh, and like uh, shouting at planes and what have you, presumably that is. It, it doesn't look like a big plane, but presumably they're sitting at the old Kaitak airport that was torn down at the mm-hmm. end of the 90s. And so certain movies really use that production value by shooting underneath uh, incoming planes or planes taking off and what have you. There's a scene, there's a scene in Police Story where Jackie wakes up and a plane passes, uh, you know, through the frame. So it's an automatic uh, production value. And, but ha- having said that, I'm not sure. All of it is in Hong Kong, as a matter of fact. There's a lot of locations that just doesn't feel Hong Kong, except possibly for the final, final, final shot at the pier. That's possibly Hong Kong, but uh, it, it mm-hmm. very looks like, very much looks like to me, going by gut instinct, 
that it was mostly shot in Taiwan. Yeah. I yeah, I found the issue of the locations a little confusing in both films because they did the plot seemed to center a lot around you know the fact that they were you know coming and going they'd kill somebody then they'd have to flee to one place and then uh, a considerable amount of the action takes place in the other the place where they're they've expatriated to and then they return whereas in the i guess i'm trying to relate it to the original movie where that didn't end up really having anything to do with the plot it all took place in hell's kitchen pretty much yeah yeah aside from the off-screen thing that he i always find it amusing in state of grace like uh he wanted to get away and he went to boston which is like a few hours away from new york right yeah <laughs> like, i couldn't yes, get any was... further like that's the furthest way <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny but but uh, yeah, that that brings up the point that the, at least back in the day in the seventies and eighties, some movies in Taiwan consciously to avoid cert, to, to avoid censorship at all, consciously put the movies in Hong Kong and shot in locations that couldn't be connected to Taiwan. Not necessarily political movies, but just to completely have the censors like off their backs. Uh, there, there's a movie mm. called um, Girl with a Gun, which is the Speaking of little remakes, it's a little almost shot for shot remake of Miss Forty Five, mm-hmm. uh, but it's uh, it's supposed to be set in Hong Kong and uh, it's not this uh, like in Taiwan like and we're standing in this statue that is totally in Taiwan. You know, it's 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 very neutral. But I also think in the nineties, possibly my theory that the Hong Kong setting for a gunplay gangster movie was a sexier thing for a movie because mm-hmm. in the 90s the the gunplay genre was still pretty uh, going pretty strong at least the first half of the 90s yeah. so it, it's possibly a commercial decision like set it in Hong Kong just like those John Woo movies man but we're gonna do bigger scripts than that one commercial thing that is here though oh boy is it a commercial uh, like uh, to get it to uh, to a category 3 level to bump the kind of sexiness of it all is having literal sex scenes featuring uh, Vivian Shu. We, in at least two sex scenes where she's uh, very much, uh, very much naked and it's very much enjoyable because she's a beautiful looking woman and, uh, not, not the greatest role for a woman, of course, but clearly, okay, State of Grace had sex scenes, yes, but clearly it's here like, yeah, gotta get some sex scene, man. That, that'll, that'll sexy up the movie literally and thus they did. But it's not, uh, it doesn't stop for five, ten minutes to have this dry humps like boring dry hump scene or anything you know yeah there's definitely more skin in this movie than in uh requital though it sounds like they cut some of the amy yip sequences out but yeah that's you know i i, I don't object to seeing you know a little a little nude female flesh in my movies you know as long as it's did, did you ever wonder about because cramp He's supposed to be a father of Vivian Shu. <laughs> did you ever wonder about the uh, age difference? Because I did. But but what I'm saying here is that they almost look similar in age, like Tan Lap Mas. Uh, I looked it up, and uh, he, here's the funny thing. Here's where the movie kind of possibly made a conscious choice. Uh, Tan Lap Man, the actor, is born in 1961. Vivian Shu is born in 1975. And it would make sense that the character of Cramp would be a young dad at 14 years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, right. you're right. Well, yes, I would actually believe that. Her role doesn't really go anywhere. It's clearly like, get Vivian Shu in there. She is still willing to take her clothes off in uh, clothes off in movies. <laughs> yeah. So we're probably... She did like a couple of them, and uh, but not like 
20 of them so and uh, she, she's developed into a good actress too she does she, she does some recent stuff which is really really good but but again it, it's it, it's a very common template it's very easy to follow that, that way and uh, it's it's enjoyable throughout and it all leads to the first like firm reference to true romance which is one of my favorite movies i love true romance uh, and uh, we got a replication of the uh, christian slater gary oldman confrontation where gary oldman plays a drexel the jamaican he he thinks he's jamaican <laughs> the pimp that thinks he's jamaican or uh-huh. thinks he's black and he's got like a glass eye it's a wonderful little cameo for gary oldman like to really dress him dress it up here <laughs> it's not like chi and ping like okay we're gonna shoot this in a club with, with like doom, doom, doom music in it nope we're gonna shoot it in a very odd house that looks like a caravan that's up elevated <laughs> And uh-huh. we're gonna have a confrontation in daylight too, with with a porn movie playing in the background, just like in True Romance. But it's a very like okay, the, yeah, I know this is True Romance. Boy, is this flat! But what happens in the whole scene is obviously a big violent confrontation with the guy that they want money out of. And Tan Lapman does a thing here that he does throughout the movie. Clearly, Tan Lapman, I'm speaking for him now. Clearly, wanted to make his mark on his mo- this movie and not just be like be compared to state of grace so what's his kind of like trademark thing like he does something with his, his body his finishing fluids. move his finishing move yes yeah he pees he shoots people and then he pees on them <laughs> yeah he pees on them <laughs> and there was actually one scene i wanted to ask you about because there's this i think it's the scene where they assassinate the cop i'm pretty sure that scene was taking place in like a discotheque or a club and he shoots all these people he blows them away and he starts peeing on them and then all of a sudden there's like a, a you see this woman huddling with like three little kids in front of a stew pot uh, yeah no it's the funeral they're at the funeral oh that's the funeral okay so i still don't know why the woman was huddling in front of a stew pot maybe she was cater my theory was that you know at these funerals they burn like uh paper uh things to for the person, persons to have in the afterlife but they usually do it in a big furnace but maybe at the funeral they burn some things some minor things in a in a pot. Oh, I, no, I don't know. Th- this was no, this was definitely a pot of soup because he goes over and there's a and also that's the type of movie this is where there's like so many shootouts that kind of blurs and it's like that was in a disco, right? No, that was at a funeral. So he walks up to this woman and the kids and they're cowering in fear because they've just seen him totally massacre, you know, all these people. And there's this, and he picks up the gun, and there's like a moment where you're wondering if he's going to shoot this old woman and the kids. Instead, he unzips and he pees in their stew pot. It's so awful. <laughs> it's like another one of those. How bad is this guy? He will pee. It's almost like a nervous reflex in the first scene. Yeah, he's like, oh, I gotta pee now. I gotta pee now. Oh, oh yeah, on a corpse too. You're right. Oh, you're yeah. right. Maybe maybe as a he has a prostate issue or something. <laughs> but he's always on, like you read about. It. It's not like he pees calmly. It's like so much pee right now. <laughs> yeah, the, and yeah, and much like the blood squibs, the the pee is a little suspect in how plentiful it is. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> hit, hit that in his eye. So yeah, yeah, that's what they don't do in. There. I mean, they they shoot him in the dick though. The guy that uh, gets killed, and gets peed on. So that that's out of true romance. But uh, they they go further and uh, maybe improvise it on the set, maybe not. But it, it's kind, it's it's an enjoyable little trademark of uh, Tan Lapman's character, and, and it makes sense for the roles he does take. He, he he's a game actor, man. It's. Uh, in in these uh, sleazy erotic movies, it's sometimes often period movies like uh, like a Sex and Sense style movie. So, but uh, yeah, it's a depraved world, I suppose. It's uh, just the same as in Requital. It's you know they take revenge, but so for something that's happened, but violence will come their way, and then they'll do it again. You know, it's that cycle of gangsters taking out each other, and it's never never really planned as such, and especially not when he got a hot head like. Uh, cramp who uh, just like Gary Oldman's character doesn't think before he, he just acts on emotions you know when it, when he kills the Italians instead of Grace that is not that planned hit or anything that's just him like being he's uh, greedy and, uh, yeah yeah and then there's that great scene with the where they've been told by their boss to you know if I he's meeting with the rival gang and he says if I'm not out by three o'clock come in guns blasting and that's also a scene that works from the tension of knowing that the main character is an undercover cop because he's trying to convince gary oldman that uh no he didn't say that he said when he calls you know because he doesn't want to go in and be involved in a massacre because he's a cop and that same dialogue happens in hunting list but even though the scene is otherwise staged exactly the same that takes a little of the tension out of it. It's still very well staged, and it's kind of funny when they go charging in, guns blazing, and then to all of a sudden go, oh, no, wrong, and then they just turn around and run away, hightail it away. I mean... It's it's pretty well made, with better tension in that state of grace, but it's enjoyable, and here we get some of the... A more distinct Hong Kong crew here because Paul Chun is in the Ed Harris role, if you will, and uh, he's uh, having a, uh, a negotiation with a great veteran actor Ku Feng, who's in tons of Shaw Brothers movies, often playing bad guys, but he's a terrific yeah. uh, character actor. They even rig him up with big ass squibs, uh, which is enjoyable. You know, the, the old man gets in on the action, whether he wanted it or not. <laughs> right, he's boss number two, right? There's like these, the numbered bosses. There's boss number two, boss number three, all that stuff. I think so. It, it isn't easy to keep track of it all, especially when you watch these two movies so closely together. But 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 the plot is still uh, is still easy to follow. And uh, I mean, I, I, I was afraid st- slightly that uh, my nostalgia for the genre in general is like, you know, making me come at this movie with less than a balanced view. But I grew up with the genre and I still enjoy it. But I, I can still recognize where it's going well, where it's kind of trashy and, and you can criticize it all to hell, but it's never not enjoyable at all throughout. Speaking of the scene with the clock and them busting in there, it's supposed to go in there at two or three. It, it's, it comes back to our discussion of is Chu Yunping in the right to even do this? Uh, but, but because of how he executes it, absolutely. You know, if, if you, if you can back it up, and not make an ass of yourself. Absolutely, go for it. And uh, yeah. for whatever reason, even if you know, regardless if State of Grace was a well-distributed movie in Hong Kong or Taiwan, it's it's uh, it, it is uh, very much valid. And uh, it is a remake, yeah. But it, it feels sometimes just like the State of Grace skeleton as well, because he's not attempting the whole 
slightly deeper thematic here of undercover, right. uh, undercover hell. Having said that, though, Ray Loy, in the moments that he is required to obviously be conflicted, he's a good enough actor where we buy it for the duration of the movie. It's never, like, um, empty on character because Ray Loy can bring enough weight to to this whole thing, you know. And I'd say that, you know, uh, again, to the idea that maybe this was his way of bringing State of Grace to a Hong Kong audience by remaking it specifically for them. I think that's something of the past now. I, I think that, you know, there were, I, I think it, it's similar to how in, in the 60s and 70s, you know, there wasn't, there, there wasn't an internet. So, you know, there weren't people in, you know, Chicago awaiting the net, the latest action, Hong Kong action movie to come out. In pop music, it was the same thing. You know, uh, a song might be a huge hit in America, but wouldn't have made it overseas yet. So artists would, ru- you know, uh, indigenous artists uh, would rush to record their own versions of these songs and be the first to get them out to the people. So there might be an element of that, but that... I don't think that sort of thing really happens anymore because everybody's so attuned, you know, like people like us, where our our cinematic palette is like every every movie that comes out everywhere in the world, basically. You know, we know, know we can find it. So it all also makes sense, by the way, that Hunting, uh, that State of Grace is remade in, in Hong Kong or Taiwan because it's not a stretch that they can execute the gunplay. Uh, it, it was true for a quiet all. It's certainly true here. Uh, so it's not like this. Oh my God. How, how are we going to do this? No one can do this. Like guns. What's this? It's like in, uh, you know, I've seen a fair amount of Thai action cinema watching, uh, these IFD and Filmark movies because the source movies that they acquired were often from Thailand. It was something that they were not either aiming for, but regardless, we're not, not, not certainly, um, technically capable of doing it. Like it's always in Thai cinema. It's always this, like, Shoot from one angle, da 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 da. Shoot from mm-hmm. another angle, da 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 da. It's like it's very like back and forth in a very like dull way. Yeah, yeah I agree. I don't think the the ties really yeah got a got a handle on action. Yeah, they t- their movies tend to be a little sleepy. Martial arts action a little bit better because they had some mad madmen over there in Thailand, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially the late uh, Pana Riti Cry. You know, his early movies are pretty damn. Uh, you know, they're they're like a de- death showcases almost. Like, oh my God, did they survive that? <laughs> but they, it's it's fun though that it's not shock filled with gunplay. But what Chu Yinping does here is like all the violence and gunplay that appear in bursts, like seconds long bursts. Mm-hmm. There's so much of it. Like, there's so much going on. Like, so many stuntmen at the funeral scene. Like, it feels like there's 50 of them. Obviously, through editing, it can go da 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 You know, shooting all the five five stuntmen all over again. But that that's a good thing. That it makes such an impact without being, you know, hard-boiled style, you know, 45 minutes of all shootouts, you know. And I, I appreciate that because I think even for shooting seconds of this, because of the squib work involved in this one, it takes a lot to set that up, and God knows if yeah. they had, you know, if they had to reshoot that, you know, yeah. new new shirts or clean the shirts and what have you. So, but, <laughs> right. but hey, but yeah. hey, kids, it's from an era where they did this for fucking real, not this cheap ass 
bullshit CGI gorgeous because you don't want to mess up the set, you stupid, <laughs> stupid, <laughs> retarded <laughs> fucking filmmaker. Stop it. <laughs> Thank you. you. You speak for both of us. Um, and one thing I actually think both these movies did b- better than uh, State of Grace in terms of the action choreography is that the action was fat. It was fast and credible enough that it didn't rely on the opponents being terrible shots. You know, it's like you know everybody but the main characters are can't shoot because. In the final shootout in State of Grace, or in a lot of State of Grace, but in the final shootout, especially when he's when he's you know having a gun battle with Ed Harris, I mean, the Sean Penn is like a sitting duck. I mean, he's just he's not moving at all, and every shot that and Ed Harris is like five feet away from him, and every shot Ed Harris takes goes exactly you know either. Five inches to the right or five inches to the left. But the bottles explode, man. The bottles explode. (laughs) But it was a little, that was like very testing credulity. And and I didn't have that. You know, maybe because the action was so ridiculous in these movies and that that would have been, uh, you know, I lost sight of that. But I didn't have a problem with that in these movies. But you would think, like, I wonder if Chu and Ping fall to himself, God damn it, I already did the State of Grace finale, what am I gonna do now? Hey, what's this, what's this movie called True Romance? And, whoa, I see, here's a shootout, <laughs> you know, the, you know, before I start blabbering on about it, uh, you've seen True Romance at some point, yeah? It's been a long time, but I have seen that, yes. And Gary Oldman. And Gary Oldman, indeed, Christine Slater, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, Patricia Arquette, fucking Michael Rappaport, da, 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 yeah. uh, you know, everyone, Christopher Penn was saying it as well, yeah. late, late Christopher Penn, Tom Sizemore, you know, such a fun movie, and uh, with, uh, written by Quentin Tarantino and all of that, and that movie had end drug deal going on at in a hotel room, in a hotel room that ends in a mm-hmm. massive shootout with tons of like yeah, feathers from the sofas just in the air and just boom, 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 you know, very Hong Kong style. And that is absolutely true. Quinton talks of the movie on the commentary for the uh, for True Romance that he obviously worked with Tony Scott. Uh, he, he wasn't like, uh, they just bought his script and left him alone. You know, he had input on the mm-hmm. movie. And he asked Tony to kind of look at Hong Kong cinema for that and shootout in particular, Better Tomorrow 2. That's what he did. And it's a fantastic ending shootout to True Romance. Uh, very violent, very chaotic, but very clear at the same time. Again, I can go on a rant about shaky cam, but here's the mid-90s. You still got that scene firmly that it was violent who died and who did not and so thankfully Chu Yang-ping did see that that someone brought into attention hey 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 all is not over <laughs> you know we found uh-huh. another shootout to mimic and thus they did I mean it's not a drug deal going down here but it's still that scene from true romance I think they were very comfortable going into it because we can do this they were aping us we're not aping them it's full circle man let's do this you know and it's a, <laughs> it's not a massively long but it's a massively big shootout despite with all the feathers all the dual guns and all the blood you know it's intense shooting and a lot of the, the most style I think is in this movie into, uh, this ending in terms of the, the camera angles and some more uh, stylish shots rather than the bursts of 
chaos in slow motion or what have you. Uh, but it's as absolutely, you know, entertainment level through the roof for, for me. It's like shooting and squibs galore. I can't ask for more, you know, and it's, it's true romance brought to Taiwan and done well. I didn't make the true romance connection because it's been a long time, but I do remember about true romance. I'll just say one thing. Hilarious cameo by Brad Pitt as the stoner roommate. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James Gandolfini beating the shit out of Patricia Arquette as well in that movie. And, and she fights back, you know, really like, uh, but you know, Brad Pitt, uh, I can gush about true romance forever, but at one point he's in like three scenes, but he makes, makes it all worth it. All the, the mobsters turn up because they want their coke back. Uh, Christian Slater has uh, like mistakenly stolen a bunch of coke instead of her uh, suitcase with clothes so all of them turn up with like guns and what have you and they want to know where christian slater and his friends are and he's so stoned and he's having a ball looking at wow guys with guns man <laughs> and it's like do, do, do you want to hit and they're like cockster guns okay well they're at they're at the hotel man and he's super helpful, you know. Uh-huh. He's, uh, they, yeah. you know, he do- doesn't die. They don't shoot him. He's super helpful, and uh, uh-huh. so <laughs> yeah, he's enjoying himself. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a wonderful movie. Love that, love that Tony Scott movie. I, I, I was a great fan of Tony Scott, even his like quickie, quickie actioners, like that scene with uh, movie with Denzel Washington on the train, uh, on the train trying to stop a train. Yeah, I like that one. I forget what it was called, but I enjoyed I'm, that I'm, too. I'm something unstoppable. I'm. I was about to say untrainable. <laughs> untrainable. Unfilmable. Um, that, yeah, that had Rosario Dawson in it too, who I'm always happy to see. You know, you, you can deconstruct it, but as I, I can think really hard and not come up with anything I truly dislike about Hunting List because it's in and out cinema. Not, not of that kind, but you know, you're in and out of it and it doesn't make a huge impact. But within it alone, if you had to single out one aspect like, that worked and made the movie. The squib work makes the movie, but it's it it has you know performances to back that up that are pretty interesting and uh, you know the lead performances you know Ray Loy and Tan Lapman as we said. And this while not a Taiwanese cinema classic, it's certainly a whole lot of like uh, trashy fun, if you will. And uh, it's not nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And uh, I never mentioned it, but uh, as far as I know, I asked a friend who knew that there was a German DVD or is a German DVD. And he said that they licensed that from Taiwan, but it is the same version as the Hong Kong version. So presumably this is not one of the extended Chu Ping movies as it was shot here, delivered in 88 minutes or what have you. It's uh, how it played in Taiwan as well, and uh, it's it's probably it's probably credible that because I I don't think there lurks, but I didn't think that over quite a lie though. But I don't think it lurks. There lurks like additional drama or character here as such that needed a two-hour movie. But who knows? That's the end of my notes. Anything you want to add? Any music? No, no, we established that that we didn't recognize any music as such. Yeah, there was some very there was some very nice music in it, and I I, I don't know if it was original, but. Uh... Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to add. I pretty much agree with everything you said. I think this is uh, was a perfectly enjoyable movie. Not necessarily one that I'd recommend, but if you wanted to watch it, I'd say go for it. It's 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 good. Good, very good performances. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the effects and the acting I think are the strong point. And this and the sure-handed direction. I mean, I think Chu Yinping is is a good technician, a very dependable director, 
And a very and the fact that he is obviously a lover of film as an audience member, you know, you know, you're always going to get a little extra from those directors, you know, because they're making the fi- the film that they would want to watch. Absolutely, and I just thought of something that I kind of neglected saying that why there's kind of hatred directed towards him. It's possibly merely directed at his more manic movies of the eighties, and mainly because this is his most widely seen movies. A lot of people hate Fantasy Mission Force. <laughs> yes, he did that. Yeah. I love Fantasy Mission it's Force. It's a quiet taste, and I love it, but it, it's such like Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando, that's training for Fantasy Mission Force, and then he just, you know, went at us. And it's obviously a broad movie, a very broad movie and silly movie, and I think the hatred is possibly towards that. I don't find this funny, but I also think the hatred is towards the fact that this is no Jackie Chan movie. You know, just because it's not the same as every other Jackie Chan movie. But the fact is, he's one of the cast members and not uh, the main one or anything. And he, he did it as a favor, as you might know, to uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, who got him out of the contract in the 70s with Law Wei, too, so he could go independent and be, and he became a star. And, he honored that favor by appearing in Fantasy Mission Force and Island of Fire a few years later for Jimmy Wang Yu. Fantasy Mission Force is the cinematic equivalent of kissing um, Jimmy Wang Yu's shoes. <laughs> in case of Jackie Chan, yeah. But I love it because he's putting this, he's done comedies, of course, but he's putting this Chu and Ping style of Taiwanese manic uh, cartoony comedy and uh, like fighting that big guy and smoking a big pipe and what have you, which doesn't sound like, oh, what a great concept but he's part of a different vibe he's not in his kung fu comedy vibe necessarily he's part of work for us now <laughs> like we're gonna put you through some crap here like some some dopey crap but uh, hey it's a, it's good fun and uh, I, I, I never really buy the hatred for fantasy mission forces me fun. neither i am a champion of it <laughs> like a, a champion in the sport of fantasy mission force <laughs> yes yes exactly all right as for availability uh there's a yeah, little little so and so for hunting list i mean it's a universe title in uh, hong kong the company universe they put out the laser disc and vcd which is unfortunately out of print there was a remastered japanese dvd put out there without english subtitles but it was released as a triple bill focusing on a female actress vivian Shu. Because the set also contained her starring vehicles, uh, Angel Heart and Devil Angel. Uh, category free movies. Uh, so, uh, she, she appears nude in all of those freeze, uh, free movies. So, no English subtitles and they were only in Cantonese. And here, I prefer these movies in Mandarin, um, even though they are dubbed. But, uh, there are more Taiwanese productions to me, more Taiwanese cast than Hong Kong. I, personally prefer them in Mandarin. Uh, for Hunting List, actually, if you have the ears for it, uh, the scores are different between the Cantonese and the Mandarin track, for whatever reason. So, uh, uh, But I haven't heard the Cantonese track, so to judge it, it's like a really poor score, like a repl- poor replacement score. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so it's a little bit hard to own, but uh, you know, if you know your way around the internet, uh, I know there's custom versions out there using like the Japanese remastered print and put there's English subtitles on that. So uh, uh, we watched a rip of the um, Universe Laser Disc, which is perf- perfectly fine. You know, letterbox and the visible subtitles. So, uh, so that's that. But next time. I thought it'd be nice to uh, dip our toe into Taiwan monster movies, possibly again. Yay! Probably, yay! And one, <laughs> and one stands out. You know, the classic 
this is not the title, but the classic plot of General Guan versus Martians. You know that HL template, Todd? That that uh, that is like in tons of movies. It, it, it's the basis for all good films, basically. <laughs> Indeed, it should yeah. be anyway. But it was the basis <laughs> of one good film, and it's the 1976 movie, The Big Calamity, aka War God. And it's a big old kaiju movie from Taiwan, and it's directed by Little Heroes and the Fly Dragon Mountains director Chen Hung Ming. And we've covered both those movies on the show. Little Hero is, you know, master, master, master. <laughs> and the Fly Dragon Mountain is this wuxia drama, as you might remember. So it's yeah. uh, versatility right there. And in 1976, Chen Hung Ming did this special effects spectacle and did it very well. He did. I actually have some past research uh, done on it with the help of some uh, people who have translated articles and what have you. So if I can compile that into some kind of coherency, we might have some background info based on articles done at the time. Oh, that would be excellent. Talking of the movie is enough because it's such a fun movie and it's out there unofficially, but still out there. And uh, whatever background we can get together, that will be fun. But I want to make it a double bill with another special effects spectacle and we have some ideas of one movie but i want to see first if uh both check availability but just see if there's um enough there to kind of talk of because the movie we're thinking of it's only available in italian oh that yeah that's true <laughs> that is true now that you mention it so it's a like it's a base based on like us getting together some research maybe watching a movie or two that covers the same character and events and kind of then we can sit down in front of it and get a discussion out of this uh, movie but it's a long way of saying keep your eye out on the facebook group for firm announcement of what we are pairing up the big calamity aka war god with but it's gonna be a it's gonna be a special effects time anyway uh, taiwan style i await it with bated breath that sounds i'm so looking forward to that i cannot even put it in words it's one of those movies that uh, we it lives up to its template it really really does it 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 competes with you know it's right up there with the japanese toho movies it's really well done I wouldn't be surprised if they had actually Japanese uh, special effects technicians on that. They would import uh, Japanese spe- special effects people from time to time. But we'll, that's a discussion for another time. So uh, let's, uh, let's uh, cap this down with some quick contact information. And this has been Taiwan War on Requital, regardless if it's uh, if that's a word or not, or if you pronounce it that way. <laughs> but that's the movie we covered along with Hunting List. And we are on podcastify.com. Email us if you have any questions, feedback, or, or pronunciation corrections. And you can do that at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. As well as on Facebook, leave a like. First of all, facebook.com forward slash PUF network. Then you can complain. You know, can we get the like first and complain second? That'll be that'll be perfect for me. Uh, but uh, we have uh, that page that you can interact with us on. We also have a Facebook discussion group. Follow the link on the page or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar. We are available on Twitter at Podcast on Fire is our handle. And my writing is available at SoGoodReviews.com, Taiwan, Hong Kong Category Free. Richard Harrison being exploited by Godfrey Ho. I got it all on there. SoGoodReviews.com. <laughs> and I say uh, video review, video review at SleazyKVideo.com. And my tweet handle, Twitter handle is uh, at SoGoodReviews. Taiwan War is available on iTunes. And if you are a iTunes user, please spare, uh, like a minute or two to write about the show if you have some thoughts about it. We would love to hear from you. And uh, at the very least, leave a star rating. You can do that. And finally, 
stream us on Stitcher Radio application available on the Apple App Store as well as as well as on the Google App Store. So uh, check us out on Stitcher. And finally, Jesus Perez Molina's blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles will link to his Taiwanese. Uh, movies posts because there's some excellent information there about some obscure movies that were only available that are now identified and were only available for a while within the uh, confines of a Godfrey Ho movie if you will but it's important to have those identified uh, so the floor is yours what do you want to plug you can get as you can get 50 plugs max can you get uh, can you get them all in there <laughs> I'm gonna economize and just you know, use my blog as a hub for all uh, social media activity. Uh, my blog is die danger die die kill dot blogspot dot com. If you go there, not only can you read all kinds of groovy reviews of weird movies, but if you go over to the right hand sidebar, uh, you'll see links to my Twitter, my Facebook page, and my Tumblr. And uh, also a purchase link for my book. You can order it from Fab Press, fabpress.com, and receive an autographed numbered copy. Ooh. Um, so that's all I've got right now. What's it like a number there? Is it like a, one of those like uh, lucky numbers? Like you, you chose like your lucky number is like 475, so you got like a limited edition <laughs> and out of 475, or you didn't have any input on that? I think it's a phone number of some kind. I don't know what. I don't know who, you know, I guess you have to call and see who answers. They might go, you will die, or something like <laughs> Like a movie phone thing. You are the 575th <laughs> purchaser of my book. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, hey, hey, that was not kind. I want my money back. <laughs> That's all good. Good luck with Funky Bollywood, if, uh, regardless if this episode comes out before it or slightly after, but uh, we're on the brink of uh, Funky Bollywood. It's merely a month away, essentially. We're it in is. Feb- February it's coming. Now. It's coming fast. All right. Good luck with that. But uh, until next time, thank you, Todd, and uh, thank you to everybody who listened to our heroic go shared episode, and we managed to avoid getting any squibs into our eyes. You know, it was hard, <laughs> but we did it. It was hard. All right. Thank you, everybody. All right. Bye-bye.